Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to James chapter 4, the book of James chapter 4. We continue our study through the New Testament. And last week in chapter 3, remember, we studied the little rudder, uh, the little fire that exists in our mouths, the tongue. And we give the example of the the campfire and the, the barrel of gasoline. And in the same vein, we continue in James 4, where here we are in James 4, And in verse 1, Brother James continues, inspired of the Spirit, in verse 1, where he says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Now, remember, the world is the world, Corinth is Corinth, and the church is the church, the saint is the saint. There should be stark differences with the world and the church. There should be stark differences between culture and the saint. And I'm very cautious in saying that there should be. I'm very cautious because every single one of us is a work of the Lord and a work in progress at that. But what's easier to mold? Soft clay or hard clay? You see? And even though we do see and we do have inside the church hard clay, these things ought not to be so. And these are things that Brother James is explaining for those inside the church. Where do fights come from? Among you. This is for the Christians, among the Christians, among the Christians, among the church, among the saints. Where do wars and fights come from? You see, and very interesting that we just studied in chapter three about the tongue and the taming of the tongue. You see, where do wars and fights come from among you? And then he says this in verse one, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You see, say, for example, you take two kids, two children, little children, you put them in a room. You put them in a room, toss in a candy bar, and close the door. There's two kids, candy bar, you toss in the candy bar, and then you close the door. You come back five minutes later. Five minutes later. One kid will have chocolate all over the face. The other kid will be crying. And, you know, in a very basic sense, you know, what has happened is that we see the desires at war within each child each one of the chocolate and responding to the chocolate, they were moved to action. One lost out and the other ate the chocolate. And this is a very basic, 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 basic example. Seemingly innocuous. Oh, they're just kids. Oh, look, kids will be kids. Oh, look, they're just three years old. They're just five years old. They're just, you know, whatever years old. They're little children. But left unchecked improperly guided and abandoned. Look at what can come of these children as they age into adulthood. I mean, not to mention parents that now have a millstone to factor in their lives, but in this very basic example of, you know, two kids, candy, you know, toss in the candy bar, close the door. You know what's going to happen. One kid's going to be crying. The other kid's going to have a nice chocolate bar. But then you look at the church today. Are we not to think that fighting does not happen inside the church? Because you know what? It absolutely does. But where do they come from? 
where is it that they come from? Is there an inception to these fights and warring and fights that come from among the body of Christ? Is there an inception? Is there a conception? Where do they come from? And this is what the Lord is addressing through his vessel, who we call Brother James. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Brother James. You see, full package. Remember in our in our study in, in the pastoral epistles, the full package, package deal, not package one, not package two, not package three, full package, real deal. And when you see these qualifications, they are able to teach, able to instruct. And that's what Brother James is. You see, as teacher. And you understand, you know, the desire and lust for pleasure. But, you know, let's not forget the the war that is seen with the eyes. Because you take two brothers or two sisters. You take two brothers and they're having an argument. They're Christians and they're having an argument. You take two sisters and they're having an argument. And that's just what we see with the eyes. Oh, look, this... Two brothers, they're fighting. Oh, look, two sisters, they're fighting. And that's what we see with our eyes. But you see, what the Bible is saying is that the war, it was already there to begin with. It's the war in the members, the war in the body. It's the war of the mind. Oh, two brothers are having an argument. What's the argument about? Well, let's just... You know, whatever the subject matter is, let's just move that into the arena of the irrelevant. What are the two sisters fighting about? Okay, whatever the topic is, whatever the subject matter is that they're fighting about, let's just slide that over into the area of irrelevancy. Because what's really happening when you look deeper, when you look with eyes not according to the carnal nature? What's really happening? There's a war of the mind where the the war in the members, you see, people always point to the wrongful deed as wrong, but you know what? I mean, a wrongful deed is wrong, but let me tell you something. It's too late. It's too late because the conception of deed begins in the mind. The conception of thought begins in the heart. And if the old man and the old woman are not reckoned dead it will only present problems in the course of time left unchecked and untaught it creates rotten fruit further unchecked it creates leaven it snowballs into something worse and verse one is so powerful here where brother james inspired of the spirit says just straight up point blank he says where do wars and fights come from among you Not the world. He's not saying, where do they come from in the world? You know, where do they come from, you know, China and Russia and the U.S. against, you know, uh, Mexico and, you know, uh, Venezuela and, you know, wherever. He's not saying, you know, okay, there's because in the world we have those. Where do wars and fights come from among you inside the church, among the saints? Do they not come from your own desires for pleasure that war in your members last week we spoke of the little member called the tongue you see 
Verse 1 is powerful. Because we see two wars in verse 1. One is seen with the carnal eye, and the other is seen with the spiritual eye. Now, remember when we said, uh, you know, whatever the subject matter, the two brothers are fighting, whatever the subject matter, you know, let's put that to the side. And for the two sisters, whatever the subject matter, let's put that to the side. But now let's take that subject matter and now let's introduce that into the picture. And let's say, for example, there was, uh, you know, two cars hit each other in the parking lot, in the church parking lot, two cars hit each other. You know, one car's a jalopy, you know, just can, can barely move, can barely start. One car's a jalopy, you know, not even worth 20 bucks. And the other car is, say, like a Lamborghini. And the guy who owns the Lamborghini, he's like incensed. How dare you hit my car? How dare you hit my car? And now, do you remember the example we gave last week where, you know, how many times we hit the rewind button with the two people that were fighting and arguing? And you hit the rewind button, you hit the rewind button, and then you look at, now that we have this, in this example, the subject matter of this argument, the beef that exists between the two brothers inside the church. You see, there's something deeper in play. Yeah, you have one guy who's angry, you have another guy who's angry, and their speech reflects. But angry about what? Angry about what? Is, is the anger about the accident? Is the anger about the Lamborghini? Let's go even deeper than that. Even deeper than that. Because you look at these two brothers, they're arguing, and it looks like they're about ready to go to blows. What in the world is happening? And that's what we see with our eyes. But then with spiritual eyes, you see something much deeper. Is it the argue? Is it, is, it, is, it, is it the accident? Is it the dent? Is it the car? Is it what is it? You see, it's deeper. The two wars. You see the fighting of the two brothers, but there's already a, a war that's raging inside the members of the two brothers. And where it's, you know, the war that's on the inside that leads to war that is on the outside. So say, for example, you have two brothers and they do go to blows and they get like the actual physical altercation. When you see the physical altercation and you hit the rewind button and it never had to be this way. It never, ever, ever, ever had to be this way. You see? And that's what we look at when we see the war that is on the inside, which can lead to, you know, even bigger wars that are now seen with the eye. You see how powerful verse 1 is? From among you, where do, where do wars and fights come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? So you say, okay, the jalopy hit the Lamborghini. Well, the Lamborghini, the guy who owns the Lamborghini, he shouldn't have bought the Lamborghini because it costs, you know, say $400,000. Well, what if the guy is a billionaire and $400,000 is a drop in the bucket? 
is he wrong to own a Lamborghini? Now, if he had to get like a, you know, a second mortgage to buy a Lamborghini, that's another thing that, you know, that's wrong. But you take a billionaire, $400,000 is nothing to a billionaire. It's the equivalent of, you know, literally buying a candy bar. It's nothing. And so that's what, that's the rich guy. But you take the poor guy in his jalopy. Well, it's no big deal for him because, look, he, you know, you know, oh, it, 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 the rich guy, he shouldn't be so concerned about the Lamborghini. But then now that the guy in the Lamborghini is arguing with that little campfire, the little campfire in his mouth. And now that the gasoline is close to that campfire, now you take the poor guy with this jalopy and he's mad because, you know, how dare you say that to me? How dare you say that to me? And all of a sudden you have his campfire in his mouth and that barrel of gasoline, it's closer to that campfire. And now it's just getting heavy. Remember that barrel of gasoline is no longer 500 yards away. Now it's 100 yards away and it's 50 yards away. Now it's two feet away and boom, they start going to blows. There's something deeper happening. You know, we always look at the sin like, okay, like, how dare this guy do that? How dare this lady do this? And I get that. I understand that. And it's perfectly fine. I mean, a lot of times when it comes to, you know, sin and walking according to the flesh, you know, Jesus says, look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. And when you look at the fruit, all of a sudden you see something different. You see indicators that, hey, something's not wrong with this guy or, or something's not right with this guy. Something's not right with this lady. There's something wrong there. I meant, you know, you take a brother, it, it, you know, say there, there's a brother in the church and, you know, he starts speaking dirty. Say so he's married. And he starts, oh, look, it's okay. I can, I, I, can, I can admire her beauty. I just can't touch. I can look, but I can't touch. And there are men in the church who think that. There are pastors in the church who teach that. Look, but don't touch. Look, but don't touch. And what does Jesus say? If you lust in your heart, or if you lust in your mind, if you look and lust, you've committed. It's, the deal's already done. It's already done. People say, oh, it's adultery, it's adultery, you know? And then the guy says, oh, no, I didn't commit adultery. I didn't touch. The guy says, I didn't commit adultery. There were, the, the deed didn't happen. I didn't commit adultery. And Jesus, he raises the bar and says, listen, when you look in lust, you've, it's already a done deal. You've committed adultery in your heart. And yet you have pastors, oh, it's okay to look, admire her beauty, admire her beauty, but don't touch, man, you're in big trouble if you touch, so don't touch. And then the guys, you know, here you have a, a married guy and he's like, checking out this lady, checking out this lady, checking out this lady. Oh, I can look, but I can't touch. And then you have these perverts in the church today. Perverts in the church today. Oh, hello, sister. Hello, sister. Let me give you a hug. You see, perverts in the church. Men who think they're men, but they're little boys because they're babies. You see, let me say something, sisters, my beautiful sisters in Christ. We have to be wise. We have to understand 
A lot of men today are compromised because of sex, because of the drugs and the alcohol. But the big problem in the church today is the sex. Be wise. My beautiful sisters in Christ, be wise. Parents, be wise with your kids. Because there's a lot of perversion in the church today. But why is this perversion? Why is it even there? Well, it's like, okay, the pastor says, look, but don't touch, look, but don't touch. But you look at the head pastor of every church, which is Jesus Christ. What does he say? What does he have to say about the matter? You see, to look and lust, it's it's already a done deal. You see, adultery. A guy might say, well, you know, the pastor says, you know, look, but don't touch. And so I'm doing what the, look, I'm submitting to my pastor. I'm doing what is right because the Bible says submit to the pastor and I'm submitting to the pastor. The pastor says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so I'm just following what the pastor, I'm following his lead. Remember, leadership matters. Leadership matters. You see? And Jesus, the head pastor of every church, says, listen, it's a done deal. You look and lust, listen, it's a done deal. Adultery. It is sin. And that's the war that rages, you know, with the children. We give the example of the candy bar. But that's children. And uncorrected and unchecked as the child grows, these give root to deeper things where, you know, the candy bar is no longer a candy bar. These are footholds that Satan can use. And so many times, guys, you know, women too. But a lot of men, even the women, oh, look, it's okay to look, but don't touch, look, but don't touch. Wait a second. Our Lord raises the bar. He doesn't raise the bar to an unattainable level, level, but he raises the bar because remember, he wants you and me to move on to perfection. There's always going to be a raising of the bar. You know why? Because the Lord wants us to move forward and grow and mature. Onward to paradise, yes, but at the same time, onward to perfection. To whom is given, much more is required. And yes, we do move on from the elementary things, but remember our study in Hebrews 5 and 6, if the Lord permits. You see, the Lord has a desire for us to mature. He absolutely has a desire for us to mature and wants us to mature and move on to perfection. But it is you and me that can present roadblocks. What is that? Walking according to the flesh. The carnal nature. You see? But when you and me, when we reckon the old man dead, when we reckon the old woman dead, when we are crucified with Christ, it's like, Yeah, you know, 25 years ago, there might have been the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, the whole nine yards 25 years ago. But you know what? That guy's dead. You say, yeah, 20 years ago, there might have been the the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll. But you know what? That lady's dead. We are new creations in Christ. 
You see? But then you have a brother, you have a sister, they're doing the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll. The, oh, I am crucified with Christ. It's like, wait a second. Listen, brother, I know the Bible does say that, you know, I am crucified with Christ. But those are Paul's words. And yes, you and me, brother, you and me, sister, can be like Paul. As he himself being a pattern for emulation. Remember? But you do the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, brother. You do the sex, the drugs, rock and roll, sister. I know you you, you, you want to say that you're crucified with Christ. But you know what, brother? You know what, sister? I don't see crucifixion. And the guy says, well, wait a second. The Bible says I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. It's like, hold on. I don't see crucifixion. I see the old nature. I don't see the newness. I don't see new creation. I see the old guy. I don't see new creation. I see the old lady. Who you used to be before you came to Christ. And now you're in Christ and you're still behaving like that. Remember Jesus says we look at the fruit. You see? And Brother James is addressing something that is much earlier than the actual act of the sin. I meant like for a guy to commit murder, for a person, a female, male, doesn't matter, but for a person to commit murder, the physical murder, like, okay, this guy is dead now. And, you know, the, the other guy has physically, literally killed this guy. And yes, that's a criminal offense. But you hit the rewind button. There's something deeper happening. You know, when you, you know, premeditated murder. Now the, the law, according to the flesh, the law of mankind has this legal definition of premeditated murder. But the Bible, it's already set in place. There is premeditated murder. All murder is premeditated. You see? And it stems from hatred in the heart. Remember our studies in the in the law and in Torah and Leviticus and Numbers? About, you remember the example we gave where you, you and me were working on, uh, on a roof? We're working on a roof and then, you know, I, I die on accident because of your doing. Well, there's, you know, uh, statutes in the law to, to address that and safe haven for you. But if it was done maliciously, if you pushed the rock over the edge and it landed on my head, you know, that's premeditated. Because the Lord looks at the heart. Why is there hatred in the heart? A guy commits murder, you hit the rewind button when the, the two are alive. You hit the rewind button, it's like, well, what's that? Why, is, why does this guy have so much hatred in his heart for this other person? You look at adultery, the physical, literal act of adultery, which is disgusting. Evil, evil, evil. The literal physical act of adultery. And so many times people point to that. Oh, look, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin. And yes, it is. And yes, it's ugly. And yes, it's a destroyer of families. It destroys families. But you take the literal physical act of adultery 
and hit the rewind button. A week earlier, what's happening in the mind? Six months earlier, what's happening in the mind? A year earlier, what's happening in the mind? Two years earlier, what's happening in the heart? Three years earlier, where does this guy even go to church? Five years earlier, here you have a guy who's sitting in the pews listening to a disqualified pastor at a men's Bible study. Oh, men, it's okay to look, but you can't touch. It's okay, men, look, but don't touch. You can do the looky, you can't do the touchy, men. A disqualified pastor, a fool standing at the pulpit claiming to be qualified. But the Bible reveals that this guy has no business at the pulpit. And now you hit play. A year passes and the guy in his heart has listened to his pastor say, you know, looky, no touchy. On the course of time, two years pass, three years pass, and the whole time the guy has been in a fellowship. Oh, look, I go to church. I'm a good Christian. I go to church. You see? Year three, year four, year five, you know, six months in, a week in, and boom, the day of. The act of adultery, the physical, literal act of adultery, which, which destroys homes, destroys families. And you say, look, 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 he, he committed the adultery and the lady, they did the adultery and they did this. And oh, look, oh, it's such egregious in the church. This behavior shouldn't be in the church. And yes, that's absolutely true. But. What also shouldn't be in the church? The stupid, foolish pastor. You see? That's what Brother James is addressing here. These wars and fights among the body. This, you know, the world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. We're looking inside the church. And Brother James, inspired of the Spirit. They come from your own desires for pleasure. They war in your members already. Last week, we looked at the little member of the tongue. You see? The literal physical act of murder, but the, the, the fight, the war, the battle, the battlefield was in existence long before. The literal, physical act of adultery. The battle was raging long before. And you have disqualified pastor teaching. Oh man, looky no touchy. Wickedness at the pulpit. Oh, you're so mean. How dare you speak of against the Lord's anointed? How dare you? The Bible says don't go against the Lord's anointed. Listen, when you have disqualified pastor, when you have the wolf at the pulpit, when you have the hireling at the pulpit, 
That's not anointing. And Brother James here, he says in verse 2, he says, You lust and do not have. You lust and do not have, he says. I mean, in verse 1, we gave the example of the, the kids in the candy bar. But lust of the flesh? I mean, that's with kids in the candy bar. And that's, you know, oh, it's just so innocent. Oh, look, kids can be kids. But what an opportunity for parents to teach and train their children in the area of lust. Because in a child, the lust might be a candy bar. But as the male child grows, as the female child grows, that lust ain't going to be a candy bar anymore. You see? Oh, it's so innocuous, it's so innocuous, you know, it's, it, it's so innocent, the children, so innocent. Listen, everybody born into Adam, deeper corruption is only a matter of time. Born into Adam, born into Christ, that's a different ballgame. Born again. Because the lust of the flesh can be much more sinister than the candy bar. Much more damage, far-reaching damage. And fortunately, I don't have to be descriptive in this area because we've all seen it. But unfortunately, the reason why I don't have to be descriptive is because the same reason. We all have known of examples. You could say, okay, I've seen examples in others, but... Sometimes examples are even closer to home. Sometimes it's the example of our own behavior. You see? Listen, if you're, if you're hearing these words and you are just now realizing that you are presently, right here, right now, in a state of corruption, you hit, hit pause. Hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you, right here, right now, commit your life to Christ. You say, well, I'm already Christian. Yeah, I'm a little corrupt, but I'm already Christian. Okay, you hit pause and you listen to the message and you recommit your life to Christ and change your ways, oh man. Change your ways, oh woman. And you come to Christ. You commit your life to Christ. You recommit your life to Christ. And then you come back and you listen. We continue in our studies together. And we grow and mature together. These are the very things that Brother James, a vessel of the Lord, is instructing on. You lust and do not have, he says. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet, he says in verse 2. Remember, Jesus speaks about lust in the heart. It's already adultery. It's already done. Hate, hatred in the heart. It's already, mur it's already murder. You see, he raises the bar. But he says you murder and covet and cannot obtain. Very interesting what we see here. I mean, you would think that hate and coveting you know, you, you think, okay, the guy's just looking out for himself. Oh, the lady, she's just looking out for herself. And the person says, oh, look, I finally got what I wanted. I mean, 
it's one thing for a billionaire to buy a Lamborghini. That's you know that that's like going to a, 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 the a convenience store and buying a candy bar. When a billionaire a billionaire doesn't even do that, he has you know his assistants that do that for him. They have you know a, a, a power of attorney. They have authority to make purchases, big purchases. Billionaires don't even do that. They have people that do that for them. The, the, the shop, they deliver, you know, hand deliver, you know, they, they deliver it, you know, personally. They, that's, that's how it is for the rich. But a guy who covets, I want the Lamborghini, I want the Lamborghini, I want the Lamborghini, but he doesn't have a good job. Or the female, oh, I want the Lamborghini, I, I want the Lamborghini so bad, but she doesn't have a good job. And then what does she do? What does he do? Oh, I think I'm going to go online and sell my body. You see? And I'll make a lot of money. I think I'll, you know, I'll go to the strip club, but I'm not going to be on the customer side. I'm going to be on, you know, the performer side. And I'm going to make a lot of money so that I can buy that Lamborghini. You see? I mean, you look at the, the stripper, you look at the prostitute, and it's like, oh, look, that's so wicked, that's so wicked, that's so wicked. And yes, I get that. But at the same time, a female who's in, in the life of the prostitute, a female who's in the life of the stripper, who knows nothing about the ways of righteousness. Nothing, they, they, she doesn't know. You see, and we go into the world. People say all the time, well, Jesus hung out with the prostitutes. Yeah, to rescue them. And then what does he say? Go and sin no more. It's not to give an excuse. Oh, look, you know, look, Christians can be with the prostitutes and Christians can be with the strippers. And, you know, the stripper can become a Christian and still strip. The prostitute can be the, the a Christian and still prostitute. No, it doesn't work that way. Because Jesus says, go and fish, or, go and sin no more. We are fishers of men. We are fishers of women. You see? But at the same time, we have to understand the, it is also written. So the lady says, I want the Lamborghini. I, I, you know, I, I work at McDonald's and I want the Lamborghini. Well, McDonald's paycheck can't afford the Lamborghini. So what does she do? She does, she sells her body online. And in the course of time, she can afford the Lamborghini. Oh, but look, she's blessed. She's got the Lamborghini. Listen, that's not blessing. That's dirty money. You see? And if you're a prostitute, if you're a stripper and you're listening to this message, you know, there's a whole, all kinds of people that listen to these messages from all walks of society all over the world. And if you're a stripper, if you're a prostitute and you're listening to this message, understand there is a better way. God loves you. You want to commit your life to Christ? You hit pause right here, right now, and you commit your life to Christ. You come back, we listen, you, you listen, and we grow together, but at the same time, no more prostitutes. No more stripping. 
No more of the online business. No more. Those days are over. Because that lady is dead. I mean, if you're a male and you're in, you know, that guy, he's dead. You come to Christ and you're alive in Christ. You say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Listen, Jesus, he cleans his own fish. And he will clean you. But at the same time, as he cleans, we have to understand and grow and mature in Christ. You'll see, okay, this lady, she got her Lamborghini. Okay, that's nice. This lady, she got her Ferrari. Okay, that's nice. But how was it paid for? She's a multi-billionaire. Okay, you know, but you know, drop in the bucket. She used to work at McDonald's, but now she's a prostitute and she bought her Lamborghini. Okay, that's not a drop in the bucket. That's not good. You see? And these are things that Brother James is addressing. The wars and fights among the body, among Christians, among saints. The world is the world. The ways of the world are the ways of the world. The ways of Corinth are the ways of Corinth. But inside the church... There is a way and manner and behavior of righteousness. You see? And if you're a stripper, you're a prostitute, it's not to come down hard and be like, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you. It's to come down and say, listen, there is a better way. Let us walk to paradise. You're a stripper? Walk with me. You're a prostitute? Walk with me. Male, female? I don't care. Walk with me. Because we're going to paradise. But there is a way. And Brother James is saying, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You see, a, a person says, oh, look, I finally got my Ferrari. I used to work at McDonald's. I finally got my Ferrari. The carnal mind presents deeper restrictions to growth and maturity. Remember Hebrews 5 and 6. That, yes, the Lord wants us to move on to perfection. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. And the Lord desires us to move on to perfection. But remember, if the Lord permits. I mean, say, for example, you and me. You and me were second grade teachers. We teach second graders. Beautiful, beautiful children. We're, we th we're teachers. And it's the end of the school year and you and me. We know what it takes to transition to third grade. And uh, we know what it takes to transition to third grade, but we also know that the F student in second grade is going to be the F student in the third grade. So we hold several students back. Some students get to advance to third grade. Other students, I'm sorry, listen, you can't advance to third grade. I'm sorry, kids, you know, we love you, but you can't, you know, in this example, you and me were second grade teachers and consecutive <clears throat> over the consecutive terms and consecutive weeks. There were kids that were just the straight F students. Okay. I'm sorry, kids, you can't advance. You can't go from second grade to third grade. 
They're restricted from advancing because they haven't mastered the elementary things. You see? They haven't mastered the elementary things of second grade. And so now they can't advance. Someone might say, well, you know, uh, to the students that they can advance to the third grade, but remember, if the teachers permit. You and me in this example, we're the teachers. We know what third grade requirements are. And for these, some kids in the second grade, look, I'm I'm sorry, kids, but you can't advance. You're going to be held back so you can repeat the second grade again. You see? And once you master these things, now you can move on to third grade. But as it stands right now, sorry, kids, no. And likewise, in the faith, we move on to perfection, but if the Lord permits. And Brother James, inspired of the Spirit, is addressing these determinative factors that cause restriction. You see, the desires for pleasure, murder, coveting. And in that condition, you cannot obtain, he says in verse 2, you, you lust. You do not, you do, and do not have, you murder and covet. But you cannot obtain because that's the condition that you guys are in. That's what Brother James is saying. Remember, written to Christians. He's not, this isn't a letter to the world. This isn't a letter to, you know, uh, you know, uh, 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 Wall Street. This isn't a, a, a letter to, you know, whatever, you know, the, the world. This is a letter to, to Corinth, proper, the city. This is a letter for Christians, the church, the saint. Where do they come from, these wars and these fights? Where do they come from? Is it not your own desires for pleasure? Where, you know, you think there's this war of the flesh, and yeah, there's that, there's that aspect, the war of the flesh. But what's happening inside the body? What's happening inside the mind? What's happening inside the heart? You want to murder this guy? What's happening inside the heart? What's happening inside the mind? The adultery, the sex and all that. You want to do that? What's happening inside the mind, inside the heart? You see? Because there are deeper things at play. You lust, you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, does this mean that we can desire carnal pleasures and then ask God? No. The formula has to be right. We cannot run on verse 2 alone because of the hundreds, if not thousands, of it is also written. I meant 
For example, say a guy wants a Lamborghini really bad and, you know, he works at, you know, he has a minimum wage job and he wants a Lamborghini, brand new, not like used. Used Lamborghinis are expensive too, but the brand new, the the $500,000 Lamborghini. He wants a Lamborghini really bad. But he has a minimum wage job, minimum wage job. So you take that guy and he reads verse two, you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not, do not ask. And if you take verse two alone and run on it, it's like, okay, the guy is going to have his minimum wage job and say, okay, Lord, you say your word says, Lord, in verse two. So here I am asking you, I got my minimum wage job, but I want the Lamborghini. Gonna have the Lamborghini, Lord. You see, we cannot run on verse two alone because of the thousands of it is also written. But when we do factor in the it is also written, we're able to see something and realize something. And that's what we see here in verse three. You ask, which seems good. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. And in the Greek, this is very interesting because in the Greek, James is saying the asking of the saints has a bad accompaniment. That's, that's how, you know, you, 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 you ask, but you don't receive because you ask amiss. And that's how it translates in the Greek. It's a, a bad accompaniment. You know what Brother James is saying? He's saying it's the wrong formula. Because amiss in the Greek, you ask amiss. Amiss in the Greek is sick, diseased, miserable, worthless, depraved, wicked, evil. Remember, written to Christians. Brother James is saying, Christians, you ask and you do not receive. Because you ask in the condition of being sick. You ask in the condition of being diseased. You ask in the condition of being miserable, worthless, depraved, wicked, and evil. And that's the condition of the heart and mind of the carnal nature. And in this state, that person asks of God and gets nothing. Now, remember, very important to note, this is not the non-believer coming to God. This is not the non-believer coming to God. Non-believers come to God with all kinds of evil. And I tell you from experience, when I came to God, it was with heaps of evil. Non-believers Present to non-believe, like if you're listening and you're a non-believer and you didn't heed my prior call to repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, don't think that you know you you, you know you know you're like oh look I'm evil oh look I'm wicked oh look I'm depraved and I can't come to the Lord. No. Everybody comes to Christ at zero percent with nothing. The righteousness of Adam is filthy rags. You see? 
Every single person. You're a stripper and you're a prostitute or, you know, you're a drug dealer or, you know, maybe you committed murder. And you believe in Jesus Christ. Listen, you come to Christ right here, right now. And you hit pause. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You come back and we listen and we grow together. And if you committed murder, call the police, call the authorities and admit to the crime. You see? And you can study the Bible in prison. You can study the Bible in jail. You see? And praise be to the Lord because that, that's what he does. I, you're a prostitute? I don't care that, you know, don't ever think that you can't come to the Lord. You're a stripper. Don't ever think that you can't come to the Lord. You've committed murder and all kinds of, don't ever think that you cannot come to the Lord because you absolutely can. And when you look at verse three, this is not the non-believer coming to God. What it is, this is the believer coming to God. And Brother James is saying, you ask and don't receive because you ask while sick, diseased, depraved, and evil. And we continue in verse 3. He says that you may spend it on your pleasures. You see? Also translates as that you may waste it on your pleasures and lusts. Again, written to... This isn't to the non-believer. This is to believers. Believers, Christians. Have you ever heard a person say that their prayers don't work? A Christian. Hey, brother, can you pray for me? Well, sure. What's the problem, brother? Well, you know, I pray and, you know, my prayers aren't working. Hey, sister, can you pray for me? Oh, sure. It's a joy to pray for you. What's the problem? Well, you know, my prayers aren't working anymore. A Christian who says, you know what? God's not answering my prayers. God's not answering my prayers. Understand, according to the Bible, according to Holy Scripture, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Have you ever heard the mocker say, oh, prayers don't work? You Christians, you say you're going to pray, but you know what? Prayers don't work. That's what the mocker says. And in one sense, they have a very, very valid claim. Because they just don't see it in this guy or that lady. You know, it's for them, their prayers don't work. When When a Christian asks amiss in the state of being diseased and sick and wicked and depraved, where they say, oh, my prayers don't work, my prayers don't work. And even they, they say to non-believers, oh, you know, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. And the non-believer says, you know what? Your prayers aren't working. And since your prayers aren't working, when the Bible says to pray and your prayers aren't working and you claim to be a Christian and you claim that God answers your prayers and God's not answering your prayers, therefore, hey, the Bible is fake. And the non-believer who now becomes the mocker doesn't realize that the prayers of that guy don't work. The prayers of that lady 
don't work. But he's a Christian, but she's a Christian. Yeah, they're saints, but they're babies. You see? They're babies or they are leaven. Leaven. You see? When prayers don't work, it's for a reason. You ask and don't receive. Oh, my prayers aren't working. My prayers aren't working. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Can you pray for me? My prayers aren't working. Without realizing, hey, you don't receive for a reason. And Brother James is addressing that. He says, you ask amiss. You ask amiss. It's not that the prayers are misdirected. It's like the heart, the mind is misdirected. It's sick, depraved, diseased, wicked, evil. You see? And in verse 3, he says that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, also understand there are a lot of, a lot of disqualified pastors. Disqualified pastors who know nothing in matters pertaining to holiness. They, they, oh, but he's got the pastor parking spot. I get it. I get it. He's got the pastor parking spot. She's got the pastor parking spot. He's got the, the plaque on his wall that says this, this seminary, that seminary, doctor in theology, master's degree in theology. Oh, look, she went to Bible college and she's got all these degrees in this. And she's a pastor. But when we understand formula, you understand qualifications and disqualifications. And disqualified pastors. In matters pertaining to holiness, know nothing. You see? Meanwhile, they attempt to explain the reason a believer does not receive from their prayers. Where a saint comes to the pastor, Oh, pastor, can you tell me why God doesn't respond to my prayers? And you have the preacher guy, you have the pastor the shepherd, the overseer who says, well, God is teaching you patience. He wants us to be patient. And so he's teaching you patience right now. And he's teaching you patience by withholding your prayer request. You might have to pray for 20 years. And God is faithful. He's teaching you patience. You just keep praying and you might have to pray for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. But just keep on praying because God is teaching you patience. And that's what the disqualified pastor says. Then you have the saint. Oh, thank you, pastor. I'm so thankful for you, pastor. You're so wise, pastor. Thank you for teaching me, pastor. Oh, God is sovereign, they say. You know what Brother James says? Look at verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses. Whoa! You know how that translates? He's saying, you apostate adulterer and apostate adulteresses. That's what Brother James is saying. 
He doesn't say, hey, you know, when you go to pray and you don't receive, he doesn't say, well, keep praying. God is teaching, teaching you patience. You're going to have to pray for 10 more years, 20 more years, and 40 more years. You might have to pay, pray for 50 years. And what God is doing, he's teaching you patience. He's teaching you that he is faithful. Listen, it's a good Christian attribute to be patience and to endure, especially to endure the times. God, God is faithful. But then you have these fools who start to say, well, you know, you have to pray for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Because God is teaching you patience. Brother James doesn't say that. He doesn't point the finger at God. No way. It's not God's fault. He's not saying, well, you know, it's God who's teaching you patience. No, he says he points the finger at the saint. And the problem is not with the Lord. He's saying to the saints, to the Christians, the problem is you. That's what Brother James is saying. And he's not just saying the problem is you. He's saying adulterers and adulteresses, exclamation point in verse four. Now, let me ask you a question. What pastor do you know? What teacher do you know who will even utter such truth? You see, I mean, in Paul's day, you have 10,000 teachers. But today, we have 10 million teachers, millions of teachers. What pastor or teacher do you know today who would dare speak this truth and not put the blame on God, but look at the Christian and say, you adulterers and adulteresses. You see, what pastor do you know who has counted the cost, who knows that as brother James says, you know, let not many be teachers because there's a stricter account of what we studied last week. Let not many be teachers. And what pastor do you know who will say, God's not the problem. You're the problem. You're the problem. You see? Why is it that the Christian is the problem? Why is it that the saint is the problem? Why is it that Brother James, a vessel of the Lord, is not pointing to God, but he's pointing at the Christian and saying, you adulterers and adulteresses, you apostate. That's how it translates in, in the Greek is apostate adulterer and apostate adulteresses, male and female apostates inside the church. Why is it that Brother James is pointing to the saint. You know why? Because the saint has the wrong formula. You might say, wait a second, hold on there, my friend. You might say, you're going too far. You're hitting this point pretty hard. And in full acknowledgement of that, yes, yes, I'm in full acknowledgement and in full agreement. Yes, we hit this hard. You know why? Because the church today is comprised 
mostly of babies. I mean, new believers as babies, that's beautiful. But when babies stay babies, that's leaven. And when leaven stays leaven, it spreads. When leaven spreads, it enters the realm of the apostate. And the apostate enters the realm of wickedness. And then it snowballs. It gets worse and worse and worse. Now, as a last day's generation, understand that prayers, when the perpetual baby prays, he or she will not receive. When leaven prays, he or she will not receive. But at the same time, also understand that there is a time that is coming when Satan, Satan will perform signs and wonders. And it is the apostate that will join with Satan. You see? A wicked and perverse generation seeks after a sign. You see? And Satan roams around like a lion, waiting for whom he may devour. And in the last days, he knows his time is short. The seduction never ceases. And he's a very effective fisherman. Wicked, but very effective fisherman. And performing his signs and wonders, the whole world will flock to him and his antichrist and his false prophet, who will draw fire from heaven according to prophecy. That's what's going to happen. And Christians also will get sucked into this vacuum of death. Don't forget, apostasy is also prophesied. It will happen. It's only a matter of time. And you know what? It's already happening. And you know what? It's getting worse. Identifying the carnal Christian, the perpetual baby, the leaven, potential for leaven. Brother James, he points to apostasy and adultery when the Christian plays the harlot. Does that sound familiar? It just so happens we're in our study through the book of Judges on Wednesday. The Christian playing the harlot. Nothing new under the sun. You see? I don't think Brother James would be too well received in the church today. I mean, picture a church. Where the, the pastor says, hey, church, you know, we got a guest speaker today. He's a teacher and his name is James. Everybody welcome James, you know, and then the drummer plays his thing. You got the rock star plays his little guitar. You know, they do the smoke, the smoke thing. You know, they do all, you know, all the laser light show and everybody's clapping. It looks like a concert. And brother James starts to speak about prayer. Standing at the pulpit. And he says, just what is written here, where do wars and fights come from among you? He goes on to say, do they not come from your own desires for pleasure? That war in your members, all of a sudden you look at the crowd and people are like gasping, like, oh, did he just say that we have carnal desires and carnal pleasures? We're Christians. We're of the elect. And once saved, always saved. How dare he say that? How dare he accuse me of being 
having these carnal desires for pleasure. Did he just say that? And then they continue to listen. He says, standing at the pulpit, he says, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. Cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. You ask in a condition that is depraved and wicked and evil. That you may spend it on your pleasures, you adulterers and adulteresses. His voice gets louder. You adulterers and adulteresses. That's why you're asking in a state when you're in a state of depravity. All of a sudden, they cut the mic. You see the pastor stand up. He gives the, the signal. The guys in the back with their switchboards, they cut the mic. The ushers, the, 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 the elders, they rush to the pulpit and they take James. They drag him down the aisle and they throw him on the street. Get out of here. We're Christians. We're of the elect. How dare you call us adulterers? How dare you call us adulteresses? How dare you call us apostates? How dare you say that we, we, we pray and we, we're praying wrong? How dare you judge us? Get out of here. All these beautiful people we see in scripture, both male and female. will not be well-liked in the church today. Chloe, no way. Christians today will hate Chloe. Christians today will hate Paul. Christians today will hate James. Oh, Chloe, you're such a busybody. Chloe, why are you gossiping and telling Paul about us? Oh, Chloe, you're so stupid. Oh, Paul, you're so mean. You don't like it when I have sex with my dad's wife. You don't like that, Paul. You're so mean that I do my extortion and you say you talk negatively about my extortion. Oh, Paul, you're so mean. Get out of here. We don't want you. Chloe, get out of here. We don't want you. Timothy, get out of here. We don't want you. Phoebe, Lydia, James, get out of here. We don't want you. These beautiful, beautiful people. Our family. Heirs of Abraham. None of them will be received well in the church today. Only in the remnant will they be cherished. And Brother James is speaking about prayers unto the Lord. You ask, but you don't receive because you ask wrong. God's not the problem. And pastors say, oh, you, you might pray for 20 years. You might pray for 30 years. You might pray for 50 years and God's not going to answer you until you're an old man, till you're an old lady. You might pray. I know people who pray and boom, they get their response immediately. People who pray and boom, answer. They receive Boom, just like that, immediately. The formula's right. Then you have pastors today, well, God is teaching you patience. That's why he's not answering you. That's why he's not responding. That's not why he's not, that's why he's not giving you what you request. Is it? 
The fool likes to blame God. Brother James, he looks at the Christian. That's what happens when God becomes forgotten. I meant for Brother James to speak to Christians and say, You're, you guys are apostate. You know, male apostate and female apostate. Adulterers and adulteresses. That's you. That's what Brother James is saying to the audience of this letter. And Brother James points to them who have forgotten the Lord. Just like we see in the book of Judges. When the Lord becomes forgotten. You see, nothing, 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 nothing new under the sun. And Brother James, he says in verse 4, he says, Do you not know that friendship with the world, friendship with the world or fondness of the world? He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Fondness of the world is opposed with God, hostile toward God, and even translates as hatred toward God. And Brother James is saying, do you not know? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Notice it's self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. It's also a choice that James leaves to the person. You see, a person wants to be a friend of the world. Okay, ball's in their court. But choices have repercussions. And as a result, such a person makes himself an enemy of God. Just what he says here in verse 4. Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Self-inflicted. Remember Demas? Remember Demas? He started out so well in Paul's bubble. Remember the bubbles of Paul? Big bubble, medium bubble, tiny bubble. He was in the tiny bubble with Paul. I mean, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, what is he talking about bubbles? Go back and listen to our study through 1 Corinthians all the way to James, and you'll understand all about the bubbles. Remember Demas? And Paul writes to Timothy saying that Damas forsook him. The bright lights in the big city, a lot of opportunity to expand the bank account. And Paul says that Damas forsook him, having loved the present world. Having loved the present world, Paul says. Notice, no love for the world to come. Damas. No love for the world to come. No love for paradise. You see? And when this happens, a person makes himself, a person makes herself an enemy of God. Oh, but God is good. God is good. Why would he abandon his bride, people say? Why would he abuse his bride, people say? Without realizing that the apostate is not the bride. Why would God abuse his bride? Why, why would God abandon his bride? Let me tell you something. The apostate is not the bride. 
Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself self-inflicted an enemy of God. In verse 5, or do you think that the scriptures say it says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? And that's what friendliness to the world does to the Holy Spirit. The spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. Now remember, the Holy Spirit wants us to abide in Christ. The Holy Spirit helps us abide in Jesus Christ. And also remember that it is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit to the point of jealousy. And that's what friendliness to the world does to the Spirit of our Lord. That's why Paul says, do not quench the Spirit or do not extinguish the Spirit. You see? These are things that Brother James is writing to the church. He's telling the Christian. He's telling the saints. He's telling us. He's telling you. He's telling me. You know, when we look at the prophecy of apostasy, painful, painful prophecy, and it will come to pass. It's already happening. And yes, it is painful. But it happens for a reason. It happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. I mean, you look at, you know, in, 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 in verse 3, and it's like, okay, you know, Christians, they ask of the Lord. That's a good thing. And yes, that is a good thing. But it is entirely possible to ask amiss. It is entirely possible to ask of the Lord in a condition of wickedness, in a condition of being depraved and diseased. It is entirely possible. And that's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. You see? And Brother James says in verse 6, he says, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see? There are qualifiers to God's grace. The proud and arrogant, God resists. And we see this throughout Scripture. I mean, in an extreme sense, look at Pharaoh. But the humble? It's a different ballgame. Humility is a key ingredient to righteousness. And God sees everything. He sees everything and he knows the heart. And this is written to Christians. Someone might say, well, wait a second, but we're praying. That's a good thing. We're Christians. That's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing to pray, but the formula, it has to be right. Because if the formula is wrong, listen, you're not getting anything. Remember frequency? We got to be on the right frequency. You see? And when the formula is wrong, wrong frequency. Wrong frequency. And it's so powerful, you know, when we read these passages because it's like, you know, we... 
like we look at Hebrews 5 and 6, how yes, we're to move on to perfection. And yes, we're to lay aside the elementary things and move on to perfection. And when we take notice of Hebrews 6, it's if the Lord permits. But at the same time, it's like, well, if the Lord permits, what is restricting me? And then we get to passages such as this. And not just this, but all over scripture, we see the problem is the flesh. The problem is the carnal nature. I mean, in the extreme case where Paul says, okay, you want to behave like this? Okay, remnant, separate from the leaven. You see? And so what do we see here in verse 7? We see, therefore, now, what have we seen so far? In verse 7, he says, therefore, and if we just pause here for a moment... What have we read so far? What have we just read from verse 1 all the way through verse 6? What have we just read? Where You know, when James says, therefore, here in verse 7, but let us remember the condition of the church, the condition of the saints. Remember, this is to believers. And inside the church, we see desires for pleasure. Remember verse 1? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? And in the word in the Greek here is hedonism. Hedonism. And inside the church, we see this desire for pleasure. We see murder. We see coveting. We see warring. We see fighting, friendship with the world, adultery, harlotry, apostasy, an open door to becoming an enemy of God. This is to believers who James reminds and urges even about humility that God gives grace to the humbles you see now for example say you and me we get in the time machine and we go back in time and we sit in the pews of an early church or we fellowship in the home of the early church and someone is reading a letter from Brother James. He's reading this letter. We get to chapter four. It's not, it's not you know, it's parchment. It's not divide. We're so spoiled today because we have the chapters and verses. But a sister is reading. Hey, we got a letter from Brother James. It's so beautiful. Oh, look, I miss Brother James. I love Brother James. And we're like, okay, let's read it. Let's see what he says. And then a sister stands up and reads. And you and me, we're, we've gotten in the time machine. There we are sitting in the pews. And as this letter is being read, every single word is like a knife in our hearts. Every single word is like a stab in the heart. What's our response? What's our response? Do we say, Oh, Brother James, he hurt my feelers. He hurt my little feelers. So, you know what? I'm going to go to this other church where the pastor over there, he's going to whisper sweet nothings to me. Oh, be, be careful with James because he's so mean. Look, he called us, he, he, he called us adulterers and adulteresses. That's not loving. I'm going to go to this church over here where the guy's going to tickle my ears. You see? Or the words are being read and every word is like a knife in our hearts. 
And as the words are being read, you and me, we start to realize certain things, several things. We start to realize that, oh my goodness, we, we do have hatred. And you know what? Jesus says that's murder in our heart. And we start to realize that, you know what? We do covet. And we start to realize that we do have desires for pleasure in the carnal nature. And partaking in all the things that that nature has to offer. And we realize that, yes, you know what? We have often fought and warred among the brethren. And we start to realize that, yes, we do have a fondness for the world. And then we start to realize something shocking, 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 shocking. The writer of this letter, this, this sister, she, little sister, and she reads it so boldly. She's so tiny and yet so bold. And the words of Brother James, he called us adulterers and adulteresses. And it's painful. Every single word is like a knife in our heart. Other people got up and left. There was a guy who got up and, and left. There was a lady who said, oh, be careful with James. He's so mean. Look, he called us adulterers. He called us adulterers. He's so mean. That's not loving. We're going to go to this other church. Come on, come with us. We're going to go to this other church where the guy, he's going to whisper sweet nothings in our ears. And you and me, there we are. People are leaving. And yes, the words are painful. Very painful. They hurt. We're like brought to tears practically. And then we start to realize, oh my goodness. We have left our first love. We have left our first love. We've left Jesus Christ. We have forgotten God. You see? And what do we do? We repent. You see, the first reaction is carnal. Oh, James is so mean. James is so mean. How dare he say that? How dare he say that I'm an adulterer? How dare he say I'm an adulteress? How dare he say that when I pray, I pray in a condition of being evil. I pray in a condition of being depraved because, oh, look, once saved, always saved. That's impossible because the Bible says once saved, always saved. It's impossible to act in a state of being depraved. How dare James say, come on, let's, let's get out of here. We're going to go to this mega church over here where the guy's going to, we're going to go to church and we're going to feel so good about ourselves. You see? What's happening is that they're going to get up and go to this mega church and yeah, they 
they're gonna, they're gonna feel good. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna have their ears tickled and they're gonna feel good. They're gonna sit in the pews and laugh. But the pastor's disqualified. And when the pastor's disqualified, the baby stays the baby. The believer is still dirty. And leaven stays leaven. Which opens the door to darker things. Apostasy. You see? We have to look at the pastor too. We have to, remember, leadership matters. We have to look at the pastor too. And understand formula. Because when you look at a guy, you know, you meet a guy. Well, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for 20 years. And oh, yeah, you know, oh, I'm a true. You know, in fact, I don't need to read the Bible anymore because I've read it. You know, I've read it already cover to cover. So therefore, I know it. So I don't need to read it anymore. And, you know, the pastor, you know, he told me that I can look, but don't touch. You know, looky, no touchy. Well, these are things that open the door to darker things. And when a guy has that mindset or heart set, he can pray all he wants. But you know what? Nothing's happening. He can pray all he wants. He can, he can cry. He can cry. Be on his knees crying. And just like it says in Malachi, when you deal treacherously with the wife of your youth, the Lord says, listen, I'm going to turn away from you. I'm going to turn my back on you. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. That's what the Bible says. And Brother James is saying the exact same thing in so many words. When the formula is wrong, you can ask, but nothing's happening. You know why? Because you ask amiss the condition of your heart. It's wrong. It's evil. It's depraved. It's wicked. What pastor? Let's be straight up. I know that there are listeners all over the world. Some go to church and this is just a little extra. For others, this is it. And we all know pastors. But what pastor do you know? If you were to ask a pastor, hey, pastor, why is it that I pray and I do not receive? Because 10,000 pastors will tell you, well, God is trying to teach you patience. Just keep praying. You might have to pray for years, for five years, for 10 years, for multiple you know, decades. You might have to pray for 50 years before you get an answer. Ten thousand pastors will say that. Ten million pastors will say that. But what pastor do you know won't point the finger to the Lord? What pastor do you know will point the finger to the saints? To you, even. I mean, if example, if you were to ask, "Hey, pastor, why aren't my prayers working?" What pastor do you know will point the finger to you? 
Those guys are rare. You see, Brother James is such a person. Paul is such a person. This is hardcore. This is deep. And I don't mean deep like, oh, this is so deep, like in terms of concept. I mean deep like the, the, the depth of realizing this, just like the example we gave, you know, like you and me, we get in the time machine, we're sitting in the pews and all these people are getting up and leaving the, it's a, a little small home fellowship and all these people are getting up and leaving. How dare this guy speak to us and call us an adulterer? How dare he do that? But you and me were cut to the heart. In tears even. We can't contain it anymore. We're just straight up bawling. Because we realize that we've left our first love. We realize that we have forgotten God. You see? And we repent. And the formula, it has to be right in us. It has to be right in the fellowship, in the body. But at the same time, it has to be right in the pastor, in the shepherds, in the teachers, in the overseers. The formula has to be right in the pastor. Because Alexander and Hymenaeus, wolves, they were pastors, teachers, but they were wolves. If Alexander and Hymenaeus, if they're the ones who, who say, oh, you're an adulterer, you know what? Ignore it. Oh, you're an apostate, Alexander says. You're an apostate, Hymenaeus says. No, ignore it. Because they're the apostate. You see? A lot of believers today are taken on a guilt trip by the disqualified. The Calvinist pastor says, you're an adulterer. Ignore it. He's the adulterer. The money preacher says, you're an adulterer. Ignore it. He's the adulterer. Hebrew Ruth, the Catholic priest, the Mormon pastor, the Jehovah's Witness pastor, anything contrary to sound doctrine, ignore them. Because such a person who claims to be a pastor, who claims to be a teacher, when the formula is not right, he is disqualified. When the formula is not right, she is disqualified. Coverings, always male. Overseers, always male. Where do you see a church where the female is the pastor? No, jump ship. Wrong formula. That's an easy one. Because you can see it with your eyes. Anything contrary to sound doctrine, ignore them. You see? And so many Christians, because of their own immaturity, because they're babies. Now, babies are beautiful, but when babies stay babies, that's not good. That's when we get into ugly. I mean, you see a beautiful, freshly born baby with the little diapers and they got their little bib and their little clothes, that baby clothes. They're so cute. Baby shoes. I love baby shoes and, you know, all their clothes and the baby dress, you know, they got this big puffy dress and these, you know, little leg, little feet sticking out, you know, it's so beautiful. But then you picture, you know, a 35-year-old guy with diapers on and a the, the little binky with a bottle in his hand. That's just, that's straight up ugly. That's ugly. And when babies stay babies in the church, that's ugly. 
Remember, we are to move on to perfection. But it's always if the Lord permits. You see? And when the Lord permits, it's like that second grade, third grade example that we gave. You and me were teachers, second grade teachers. We cannot permit the F student to move on to third grade. Why? It's because they haven't mastered the elementary things of second grade. You see? Now, we also look at the quality of teacher, the quality of pastor. Because if, you know, 2% of the class can't advance to third grade, that's one thing. But if 100% of the class can't advance to the third grade, now we look at the teacher. Who is it that's teaching? And that was the problem that we saw in Corinth. They cannot advance to the next level, the next grade. Because there needs to be mastery of the elementary things, if the Lord permits. And when you understand formula, you can be a baby Christian, freshly born in Christ. And when you understand formula, you realize, you know, hey, this, this guy, he's standing at the pulpit, but he's trying, he's trying to take me on a guilt trip, but I'm not the adulterer. He is. They try to take you on a guilt trip. And when you know formula and understand formula, you start to realize the problem's not me. The problem's with that guy, the pastor. That's why we say jump ship. If the formula's wrong, jump ship. You see? And according to the word of God, a so-called overseer, there has to be proof in the pudding. The overseer must be biblically qualified. And remember, the home is open to scrutiny. The home is open to scrutiny. I mean, if the doctrine is sound and yet a pastor whose wife is an alcoholic and on drugs, and if that pastor says, you're an adulterer, ignore it. He's the adulterer. Ignore it. And we say ignore it when the formula is wrong and the pastor ignore it. But, you know, that, that's a big statement. That's a heavy statement because if, if you realize that, the, if you understand formula and you realize, you know what? I have to ignore this pastor a whole lot. And now the problem is on you. Why even go there? You got to jump ship. Oh, but I want my children to be socialized. Into what? Into apostasy? You see? Oh, my son can have his friends. My daughter can have her friends. And look, our kids can have their sleepovers and do this. And they can have so much fun. But what are they learning? You see, when the formula's not right, we have to understand formula. And when it's... When, when the formula is right, when it's James who says you're an adulterer, when it's Paul who says you're an adulterer, when it's Timothy who says you're an adulterer, when it's Titus who says you're an adulterer, adulterer when the formula is right. Just like the example we gave in the time machine, we go back, we're sitting in the pews, 
And all these people are leaving. How dare James say that? How dare James say that? But you and me. And we're baby believers. We've gotten in the time machine. And we don't have the depths of understanding that Brother James has. But we know the formula is right in Brother James. We know that it's safe to submit ourselves to Brother James. And Brother James is saying, you're an adulterer. And then we start to realize. We do covet. We do fight. We do argue. We do have these desires for pleasure. we start to realize that we've become enemies of God. And we start to realize, Brother James, yes, it hurts, but his words are right. I look at you, you look at me, and we say, you know what? We have become adulterers and adulteresses. I mean, if you're a sister, you know. We have become the adulterer and the adulteress. And everybody is left. You know, there's like, you know, the little short lady who's powerful in Christ and she's reading the letter. The home fellowship started with like, you know, 25 people. Now there's just like, you know, seven people left. And there's a lady who's sitting in the pew, sitting in the chair, you know, rejoicing. Everybody else is crying. You know, we're like, they're like crying. And there's like one lady there who's just like, you know, just because she's deadly. Where like, you know, five years ago, she might have been crying, but she's, you know, matured in Christ. Now she's straight up deadly and she's just sitting in the pews and it's like music to her ears. She's the Chloe type. Everybody else has left and then the remnant that's there, it's like, you know, we're all in, in tears. We're bawling. Because every single one of us are realizing we've become the adulterer. We've become the adulteress. We have forgotten the Lord. We have left our first love. You see? And the formula is right in Brother James, which means Brother James is qualified. Biblically qualified. I meant so much so that his words are captured in the canon of Scripture and we say his words, but don't forget, inspired of the Holy Spirit in obedience to the Lord. That's how qualified he was. And so we know that it's safe to submit ourselves to Brother James. Why? Because Brother James, he's looking out for our soul. He, Brother James, he wants you and me and everybody to hear the beautiful words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Brother James wants, desires, he loves, he would absolutely love it if we were to hear those words, but he knows God doesn't make robots. He knows that you and me have a choice to make. And so in that home fellowship, we started with 25 people. Everybody's left. People made a big stink. How dare James utter such word? How dare he call us adulterers? Come on, let's go to this mega church. It's bigger. They got better music. They actually have a band. They got the smoke. They got the laser lights. They got the glitter. 
They got the rock star voices. You see? Oh, the pastor, he's, you know, friends with all the celebrities. Come on, let's go to this church. It's happening. This is the happening church. This is the happening place to be. And there we are in the little home fellowship, five people. You and me. Little old lady sitting there with the smile on her face. It's not a gloating smile. It's a smile on her face just hearing words of wisdom. And there's the other lady who's short but mighty in Christ. And she's reading the letter written by Brother James. And a kid in the pews. He's also bawling because he realizes the same thing like you and me. We've left our first love. We've forgotten the Lord. You see? And so what does Brother James says in acknowledging all these things, the condition of the church? Remember, this is in verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? He's not saying, where do wars and fights come from among Vegas? Where do wars and fights come from in China? Where do wars and fights come in Russia? Where do wars and fights come in Venezuela? Where do wars and fights come in Antarctica? Where do wars and fights come in Tokyo? No. Where do wars and fights... Where do they come from among you, the body of Christ? And acknowledging these works of the flesh. And we say works of the flesh, but, the, you know, we think of works of the flesh as like the act, the deed. But remember, when we look at works, what about the unseen works? Works of obedience and works of disobedience in the mind, in the heart. And what's the remedy here? Brother James, inspired of the Spirit, he says, therefore, submit to God. Submit to God. I love that. So simple. So simple. I mean, we're just in verse 7 right now. And there's there's no big words here. There's no, you know, you ever hear people speak and you like have to like, you're, you're, you're on your phone. You're like, what, what does that word mean? What does this word mean? And they use this word like, what, what, what does that word mean? What? You have to lean over. To, you don't, if you're with like strangers, like you dare not lean over because they're going to think you're stupid. But if you're with a friend, you're like, you lean over, you know, like, you know, what does that word mean? What does this mean? What does that mean? What, I don't get what it, you're, you're like sitting in the pews and you feel like you're at, a, you know, a, 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 like a, col- a college course listening to a professor. But you look at these words, it's so simple. So simple. Very intricate. Major depths involved, but it's so simple. Therefore, submit to God, he says in verse 7. And when the formula is right in the pastor and teacher, it is safe to submit to them because they help saints submit to God. Why? Because Brother James, he's looking out for our souls. Brother Paul, he's looking out for our souls because they want us to hear those words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. 
I mean, when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, it is safe to follow Paul. When he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, it is safe to imitate Paul. But let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. What shepherd of Jesus Christ, son of the most high, the most high God, what shepherd would want the flock of God to be unclean, to be stained, to be dirty and mangy, knowing that tomorrow is promised to no one? What shepherd of Jesus would want such a thing? I'll give you the answer. None. A shepherd of Jesus, son of the most high God, hallowed be his name. What shepherd would want the flock of God to be mangy and unclean? None. That's the answer. Straight up, none. But a shepherd of Satan loves dirty sheep, loves dirty lamb, loves the mangy, loves the leaven. Because it's how a person takes the necessary sidesteps for a fall. Remember the example we gave where you and me, we go in the time machine and the little old lady is reading the letter from Brother James And, you know, the carnal reaction. Oh, James called us adulterers. We're going to go to this mega church where the pastor makes us feel good about ourselves. Now, you and me, we've fallen to our faces. We've been like, everybody's bawling in tears except for one, you know, old lady sitting in the pews. You know, she, she was on her, she, she fell on her face before the Lord five years prior. But in that course of five years, she became deadly. And there she is, just a beautiful, beautiful smile on her face. And she has her eyes closed and she's listening to, you know, the beautiful words of this holy teaching that Brother James is, has written. And this old, the other old lady, she's reading. Unbeknownst to us, she's also praying for us. That these words that are being read, they take hold in the fertile soil in our hearts. She's praying for us because remember, she's deadly. This old lady, she's deadly, straight up deadly. Mighty, mighty warrior in Christ and for Christ. Straight up deadly. And we started with 25 and now we got five. Everybody else, they went to the mega church. We're going to go to this other church where, you know, we're going to feel good about ourselves. And notice here the change of shepherds. Here we are in a home fellowship where there's just five. I'm trying to do some math in my head and I'm not so good at math, but so we started with 25 and we have five now. And if my math is right, that means 20 have left. So now you have in our little home fellowship, little, just five and 20 have left and they're now with mega church. 
and they want to go to church and they want to feel good about it. They want to, they want to hear a pastor that's not going to call them adulterers. They want a pastor that's not going to say you're, you know, Hey pastor, why, why is it that when I pray, I don't get answers. Why is it that when I pray, I get nothing. And they want the pastor to tell them, you know, Oh, you know, God is trying to teach you patience. You might have to pray for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Keep praying. But that pastor will dare not utter the words. The problem is you. That pastor will dare not utter the words. You are the problem. You are the adulterer. You know why? There's a reason why. When you look at the change of shepherds, I mean, with carnal eyes, it seems like no big deal. With carnal eyes, it seems like no big deal. Look, you know, you have, you have, you know, five people here. You have 20 people here and they're, you know, two groups and they're both going to church. Oh, no big deal. They're both going to church. Two groups, both going to church. One is really tiny, but the other, wow, they, they, these 20, they joined the mega church. So it's like thousands upon thousands. No big deal. Everybody's going to church. But with eyes to see, it's a huge deal. Huge deal. You see, now you understand Paul's phobia for the saints. Remember when Paul says, I'm afraid for you? I'm afraid for you? That's what Paul said to the saints in Corinth, and not just Corinth. He explained his phobia as how it translates in the Greek. He explains his phobia. He says, I'm afraid for you, saints. You know why? He says, because the preacher guy is going to come in. The preacher guy is going to come in and they're going to come with another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit. And you know what his phobia is? He says, you guys are going to put up with it. Remember the Miletus meeting of the overseers? Paul says, after my departure, the wolves are going to come in. And not just the wolves coming in, he says, some of you are going to defect and become the wolves. That's from Acts 20. Listen to our study from Acts 20. You'll understand more. And Paul's not trying to be Mr. Big Shot. Oh, look at me. I'm so awesome after my departure. Oh, look how awesome I am. And after my departure, oh, this is all because I'm so awesome. No. But he knows his stuff. He knows what he feeds. And he fears the Lord. He's counted the cost. And he says, after my departure, the wolves are going to come in. And even from among yourselves, even some of you are going to turn into the wolf. When he's speaking to the saints, I'm afraid for you because you're, the preacher guy is going to come in. And, you know, with another Jesus, another gospel and another spirit. And, you know, that's one thing for them to come in. But the other thing is that you're going to put up with it. In Galatia, they put up with it. And in Galatians Paul was like, straight up, I marvel. I'm blown away, he says. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist. He says, I'm blown away, you guys. Why am I blown away? Because so quickly, so quickly, so soon you are turning away from Jesus. You get Paul's phobia now. What shepherd, what shepherd of Jesus would want the flock to be mangy? What shepherd of Jesus would want the flock to be dirty, to be leavened, 
Zero. That's the answer. Zero. But in this example we gave, we're a home fellowship of five. The majority left. Where did they go? They went to the mega church, joining thousands upon thousands. And remember, they're in a state of dirtiness, of manginess, of filth, of leaven. I want to go to this church where the pastor, he's not going to make me feel bad. I want to go to the church where the pastor, he's not going to tell me I'm the adulterer. I'm the adulteress. I want to go to church and I want to feel good about myself. I want to do my sex and feel good about myself. I want to do my crack and feel good about myself. I want to do my whiskey and feel good about myself. And I can find peace and safety in this big mega church because I'm not going to have to feel this guilt. I'm not going to feel this hurt. And this pastor will dare not tell me that I'm the problem. Instead, he'll tell me that I have to pray for 50 years before God answers. You know, sometimes pastors, they like to throw out these numbers, you know, like they're talking to a 40-year-old guy. And they say, well, you got to pray for 60 years before God's going to answer. And the person's like, okay, I'm going to do that. But really what the pastor, so-called pastor is doing, he's waiting for the person to die, you know. He's waiting for the person to die. So that, okay, that takes care of that problem. Because in 60 years, the guy's going to be dead. In 60 years, she'll be dead. So it's like, okay, I don't got to worry about that anymore. These are tricksters, hucksters. And a so-called shepherd, a so-called shepherd who sees what is mangy, who sees what is dirty, who sees what is leaven and says nothing? That is not a shepherd of Jesus. Because a shepherd of Jesus says, let's get you cleaned up. We got to get you cleaned up. A shepherd of Satan says, you're mangy? Okay, that's fine. Stay mangy. You're dirty, you're leaven, okay, that's fine. Stay dirty, stay leaven, stay like this, stay in the state of apostasy, and we're gonna entertain you. We're gonna do the laser lights, we're gonna do the glitter, we're gonna do we're gonna have the band, the rock star, the guy with his highlights, we're gonna do all this, the skinny jeans, the, the leather jacket, the, the rock star voice. But make sure you keep tithing. Make sure you keep tithing. You see? The shepherd of Jesus will see the leaven, will see what is mangy. And the shepherd of Jesus will say, let's get you cleaned up. The shepherd of Satan will also see the mangy, will also see the dirty, will also see the leaven and be silent. Why? Because he serves his father, the devil. That's why. And when you see like this, it's easy to understand Paul's phobia for the saints. It's easy to understand the mobilization of Timothy and Titus. It's easy to understand the mobilization of Chloe and Phoebe. Now for them, not as overseers. Remember, covering always male. And yet powerful in the ministry. Powerful in the ministry. And this is why we say, 
in these last days. If you find a fellowship where the formula is right, of course, accounting for various maturity levels from baby to deadly, the good deadly, like the old lady in the example. Also accounting for the rugby match. Remember our study through Romans. And when the formula is right, do not leave. I don't care about size. I've been in churches with 14,000. I've been in churches with two. You think, oh, surely the Lord is with the 14,000. You'd be shocked. You'd be shocked if I were to speak more on this subject. But I'll table that for another day. If you're in a fellowship and the formula is right, do not leave. I mean, 50 years ago, we could say, well, you know, it's not good to leave a fellowship where the formula is right. But today, in these last days, we say, don't leave. If the formula is wrong, jump ship. You cannot stay. Because when the formula is right, that's where you see love feast. True koinonia, true ecclesia. That's where you see family, heirs of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, remember, in our study in Hebrews, Every high priest has both sacrifice and gifts. And the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, by the spirit of the Lord, by the spirit of God, has gifts. And you will see gifts of the spirit exactly like you see in the book of Acts. And today you have pastors, all the gifts in the book of Acts were for that dispensation. They're not for today. Let me tell you something. Those pastors, they're blind. Those are the same pastors who will tell you, oh, pray for 50 years. And they say the gifts in the book of Acts are not for today. They're blind. And if the blind follow the blind, both fall in the ditch. You see, the reason why those pastors say that because they're disqualified and they make up the excuse because they're powerless they have no power and if they have no power they have no spirit and if they have no spirit they're not sealed wrong formula but there's even something else it's the involvement of the angelic realm in the body of Christ. Remember our study in Hebrews 1? Angels of the Lord sent to help the body of Christ, sent by God. And when you hear us say formula, 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 we're always going to stress that. Formula, 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 formula. It's got to be right. It's not only doctrine. Doctrine is, you know, that's key. But also deed. And it's not only those, it's also effectuation. And it's not only those, but it's also gifts. And it's not only those, but it's also ecclesia. It's not only those, but it's also promise. And this, beautiful saints, is Philadelphia. Philadelphia. And all that's implied. 
People say, oh, you're too hardcore, you're too hardcore. Number one, there's no other way to live. There's no other way to live. Number two, look at what Brother James says. Look at what Brother James says. In verse 7, he says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I have a question. What in the world is Satan doing on the inside? Now, it's easy to understand Satan in the world. It's easy to understand Satan in Corinth. But why is the devil here? Look at how inside the church, what James, you know, the, the saints that James is writing to, we see the fire ignited by hell. Remember our, last, our study last week in chapter three? It's about the tongue. And here in chapter four, we see more works of the flesh. And yes, there's works of, of the flesh that we see on the outside. Where do, in verse one, where do wars and fights come from among you? It's what you see on the outside. You know, the two brothers example that were fighting and the two sisters that were fighting is just an example. You know, two brothers, they're fighting. Two sisters, they're having an argument. But there's something deeper going on on the inside, in each person's heart, in each person's mind. There's something deeper happening. The works of the flesh, the wars, the fights, the murder, the hatred, the coveting, the carnal desires, friendship with the world, and unanswered prayers. And James knows this is Satan's handiwork. This is the work of Satan. When babies stay babies, understand there's a satanic attempt to arrest spiritual development. If you're in a church and everybody's a baby, it's one thing if it's a, you know, a brand new church, you know, that's one thing. Everybody's going to be baby, you know, people come to Christ that day and boom, a church, the, 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 the birth of a church. But when babies stay babies, understand what's happening. That's Satan's handiwork. Have you ever had conversations with Christians where you cannot speak of deep spiritual things? You, you just simply can't. Remember Paul when he was like, I wish, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, I wish I could speak to you on the deep. I mean, Paul was a wealth of not just knowledge and information, but in a in, lovingly handled. And the way he just he broke it down, the way Brother James just breaks it down, it's so beautiful. I mean, look at these words. Well, here we are in verse 7 and we haven't looked at any big words. There's nothing there. We don't have to look at the dictionary, but you know, you know, what does this word mean? What does that word mean? No, it's just plain and simple. Plain and simple. Just breaking it down. So that we can understand. So that we can understand. So that we can apply. And learn the ways of righteousness. And move on to perfection. But there are resistors to that maturity and it's the flesh you see brother james says in verse 7 resist the devil and he will not he might he will flee from you but 
we have to understand if if you're in a fellowship, it's like, man, I understand that, you know, everybody was kind of like, you know, immature Christian, like, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago. I get that. But it's like, you know, 15 years deep and everybody's like, nobody's moving on to perfection. That's Satan's handiwork. You see, arrested development. You say, wait a minute. You say, you always blame the Christian and not Satan. You always say, well, you know, you don't see Satan. You see, you know, foolishness. You see carnal behavior, but you don't see Satan. You always say that. And yet, Brother James here, he's pointing to the devil. But remember, in pointing to the devil, what does James say? He says, resist the devil. Resist the devil. Understand, God doesn't make robots. You and me, we have a choice to make. Will we resist and oppose the devil or not? You see? And it's not just a matter of resisting the devil either. Because Brother James says, submit to God. You see? Submit to God. Resist the devil. And what happens? The devil will flee. Not might. Will flee. You say, wait a second. If this is it, if these are the ingredients for victory, why aren't we seeing victory in the church today? Bingo. That's the problem. Why? You tell me. Why? Brother James, he... He doesn't point the finger at God. He points at the Christian. He says, God's not the problem. He says to the Christian, you're the problem. You pray, you ask, and don't receive. Look at the condition of your heart. Remember in the book of Numbers, you know, you know, go into Canaan, you will be victorious. And the people are like, oh, you know, those Canaanites, they're big. Those guys are big, you know. Here I am with my noodle arms, and these guys, their arms are like tree trunks. No, thank you. And then the Lord says to Moses, okay. Because they want to disobey me, which is a choice. You know, God doesn't say, you know, you're going to stay here, and, you know, like they're, they're being programmed as robots. No, it's like, you do this, okay. Remember, God is reactionary. You don't want to do that, okay. And so the Lord says to Moses, okay. This 11-day journey, now it's going to be 40 years. And then Moses says, okay. Thus saith the Lord, everybody, because of this disobedience, instead of this 11-day journey being 11 days, now it's going to be 40 years. And then the people say, okay, hold on there. Now we'll go into Canaan and listen. They say, you know, God is with us. God is with us. We'll go into Canaan when we'll fight. And yes, we'll be victorious because we have God's promise. But notice, wrong formula. And then God speaks to Moses and says, Moses, tell them not to go because I'm not with them. In the same chapter, the Lord says, go. And then he says, don't go. The Lord says, go, I'm with you. And the next, in the same chapter, he says, don't go, I'm not with you. Did the Lord change his mind? No. 
that people change their heart. The effectuation of the first promise required obedience. You see? The effectuation of the next promise was don't be disobedient. And because of disobedience, okay, wrong formula. Now, listen, you know, before when the formula was right and, you know, there was the option laid out and okay, I'm with you. You're going to be victorious. Oh, the Lord changed his mind. The Lord changed. No, he didn't. The people changed their heart. Wrong mindset, wrong heart. And they took casualties that day. People died. He said, oh, that's so terrible. People died. Yes, it's terrible. People died. But God said we'll be victorious. He says he was with us. Yeah, he said that. Before you were disobedient. You see? Very interesting what we see here. And I don't want to sound cold in saying this. But it's amazingly simple. Look at verse 7. It's amazingly simple. Incredibly simple. I mean, that doesn't even, the word incredibly and amazingly doesn't even do it. It's like, it's amazingly times infinity simple. It's incredibly times infinity simple. You want Satan to flee? Okay. Submit to God. Resist the devil. So simple, you see. It's easy. But very intricate. Because there are behaviors to holiness that must be taught. And the teacher must be qualified and called of God because anybody can say they're called of God. Anyone can say that they're qualified. But when it's you that knows formula, you'll know if you're listening to 10,000 or the one. You see? And you'll know which one is better. Look what we see here in verse 8. Draw near to God. No period. No period here. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now remember, God is reactionary. He responds to repentance and obedience. He also responds to disobedience and wickedness. And remember, Brother James is writing to Christians. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. And Brother James tells them, draw near to God. Draw near to God. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. I thought as Christians, we're automatically near to God and stay that way. But that's not what the Bible says. Because to stay near to God requires obedience to God's word. But it's through the flesh. It's through the flesh and the sidestep where it is entirely possible for saints of whom James writes to in James day and even to today because God's word endures forever. Saints can sidestep to the fall and that's the seduction, satanic seduction. You see? And the shepherds of Jesus Christ 
biblical shepherds of Jesus Christ. Formulas right, qualified, package deal. Shepherds of Jesus Christ want you to be right smack dab in the middle of the narrow road on which we walk. Draw near to God, he says in verse 8. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Let's just call it what it is. I love, you know, Brother James, he doesn't mince words. He's not like trying to, you know, candy coat things. He's not trying to, you know, oh, I got to say this, but I got to say it nicely. He just point blank. Let's call it what it is. It's sin. And James is clean. And remember, only the clean can clean. And Brother James is saying, we got to get you cleaned up. We got to get you cleaned up. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In the Greek translation, it says two spirits. Spiritually bipolar. Crazy town. You see? And when we see the, the flesh among the saints that James is addressing, and even saints today, what do we see? Crazy town. Where do you see the spiritually bipolar, you know, what he says, double-minded? Where do you see double-mindedness in the church or in a Christian? That's spiritual bipolar. It's crazy. Straight up crazy town. But who is the soul that will heed these words? Who is the soul that will heed these words of James, inspired of the Spirit, in obedience to the Lord? You see? And yet you have people today who say, oh, we take no part in sanctification. It's all a work of the Lord. It's all a work of the Lord. Now listen, the fool speaks foolishly. We like to use the shower example where you're not the shampoo, you're not the soap, you're not the water, but you still got to get in. I mean, if you want to be clean, you still got to get in. You see? It's so simple. And Brother James, he, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. <clears throat> and this translates at, in verse 9. Lament and mourn and weep. You know what this is in the Greek? Translates as endure the trial of misery and grieve Mourn, weep, and wail. That's hardcore. People say, I want to go to church and feel good about myself. Listen, the only way that happens is when the saint is clean and pure before the Lord. That is the only way. And there's only one way for that to happen. And the instructions for biblical purity is found only in the pages of Scripture. I mean, you take these saints that Brother James is writing to, and, you know, in the early church age, but these words are eternal. They're, they apply to us today. But in the example of the early church, I mean, I shouldn't say the example in the early church, you take these saints that Brother James is writing to. And, you know, he writes to us today. 
but you put them in the church where Jimenez and Alexander are pastors. Jimenez and Alexander say they're two pastors of the same church. You got pastor and co-pastor. They got the pastor parking spot. Oh, this is, you know, head pastor Jimenez and this is the co-pastor Alexander and they got these cool parking spots and they got their church offices and all these things. Do you think that these two fools are qualified to even think about saints being clean and pure before the Lord? Let alone for saints to be clean, but to even think about saints being clean. Because if they attempt to clean, it would be an abomination. You know why? Because only the clean can clean. That's why you have a lot of pep talk at churches today. It's a pep rally. I mean, in the example of our little home fellowship, where it used to be 25 and now it's just five. We got the old warrior lady who's like awesome, beautiful, beautiful, hardcore old lady, wrinkles and everything. But wow, she's so beautiful. She's so mighty in the Lord. And there she was with a big smile on her face, tears in her eyes. And these are tears of joy that she has. And here we are on our faces before the Lord repenting, you know, we're crying. And it's like, you know, with carnal eyes, you think like, you know, wow, you know, you know, what's up with this old lady. But with spiritual eyes, you realize she's praying for us. That the words of James inspired of the Lord in obedience to the Lord, brother James pens them down on parchment. And then the letter comes in and you have this other old lady, little tiny, tiny old lady, and she's reading these beautiful letters and she's also a mighty warrior. And she's reading these holy words where the majority have left. And now we have five left in this home fellowship. You, me, and the kid were all on our faces before the Lord, just weeping, realizing that we've forgotten the Lord. We have left our first love and we're repenting before the Lord. And you take the other 20. They went to the mega church. They're still dirty. They go to the mega church. And they want to go to church and feel good about themselves. And they can't get it in this home fellowship because Brother James says, Hey, listen, you're dirty. You're mangy. You're unclean. And we got to get you cleaned up. And now the ones we're getting cleaned up are you and me and the little kid because we stayed. Yes, it was painful to hear those words. It was very painful. But then we start to realize, oh my goodness, brother James is right. The desires of the flesh and the pleasures of life. Yeah, we like those. The carnal nature. Yeah, we like those friendliness with the world, fondness of the world. Yeah, we like that. Yeah, our prayers aren't working. Why is that, Brother James? And then he says, you are an adulterer's adulteress. And I, whoa. And it's painful to hear those words being read by this beautiful, beautiful old lady, warrior sister in Christ. And the majority have left. And here we are on our faces before the Lord. And we're being cleaned up. Our hearts are being purified. Where we were double-minded, double-minding, having one foot in the church and one foot in the world, we were double-minded. We were spiritually bipolar. But these ones who left, they want to go to church and feel good about themselves and 
They want to do the sex and the drugs and the rock and roll and the alcohol and the Ouija boards and all kinds of things of the occult and do their crystals and chakras and go to church and feel good about themselves. Yeah, they can get that. They can get that from Alexander and Himenaeus. They can get that from the disqualified. And they will get that. But what they won't get is purity. Biblical purity, according to the holy formula found in Holy Scripture. You see? And Brother James says in verse 9, he says, Lament, lament and mourn and weep, which is to endure the trial of misery, to, to, to grieve, mourn, weep and wail. He says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Oh, we don't like James. He's so mean. We don't like this church. Oh, look, it's just this, you know, this little home fellowship. There's just 25 people. We don't like this church. And oh, look, he's so mean. And he called us adulterers and adulteresses. He told us that we're, you know, we could possibly be an enemy of God. How dare he say that? He's so mean. And I want to go to this other church. I asked the pastor. I asked James. James, why aren't my prayers working? And, you know, I expected to hear something nice and flowery. And, you know, James, he doesn't point to God. James, he says, I'm the problem. He says it's because of my sex, my drugs, my alcohol, my whiskey, my Ouija board, my chakras, my crystals, my Ouija board, my, you know, my Buddha. He says that's the reason why. And he says that I got to get rid of those things. But this guy over here, megachurch. I ask him why. I ask him why I don't get the answers to my prayers. I ask him why God doesn't respond to my prayers. I ask him why I don't receive. And he says, God is teaching me patience. Oh, I like that. I like that message. Oh, he's teaching me patience. So, oh yeah, I'm going to submit to this pastor because he wants me to be patient. And he says, I have to pray for five years, 10 years, 20 years. I'm 40 years old. And he says, I have to pray for 50 years. So you know what? I'm going to keep praying for 50 years. Just like this pastor tells me to. I'm going to submit myself to this pastor. I'm going to submit myself to Alexander and Hemenaeus. You see? But James, no way. He's mean. He's mean. I want to be full of joy and laughter. And I want to go to a church where there's joy and laughter and feel good. But James, he's talking about gloom. It's always the gloom, always the gloom, gloom here, gloom there. Come on, everybody. Let's leave James. Let's leave Paul. Let's leave Titus. Let's leave Timothy. And let us go to this megachurch, Hymenaeus and Alex. Let's submit ourselves to Hymenaeus and Alexander. Brother James is saying to Christians, to the church, to saints, lament and mourn and weep. No laughter, he says. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. No joy, he says. Let your joy be turned to gloom. 
Oh, I don't like James. He's so mean. Look, he calls me the adultery. He calls me the apostate. And he says that I shouldn't be joyful in church. He says that I shouldn't have laughter in church. He says that I should lament and mourn and weep. What? That's not very Christian. That's not very godly. When you understand formula, lamenting, mourning, and weeping, and gloom, that's for the apostate. When you understand formula, you understand that lamenting, mourning, and weeping, and gloom is for those who have forgotten the Lord because it is a time of mourning. It is a time of weeping. It is not a time of laughter. It is not a time of joy. It is a time of mourning. It is a time of gloom. You and me, remember the example we gave? We were in the home fellowship. There were 25 people there. And now there's just five. The powerful old lady who's reading the letter of James. The powerful warrior old lady who's sitting there in her chair. And then you, me, and the kid on our faces before the Lord. And we are lamenting. We are mourning. We are weeping. We're not laughing. We are mourning. We're not in joy. We are in gloom. Why? Because we realize, oh my goodness, we've left our first love. We have become apostate. We have forgotten the Lord. You see? Look at verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he, this is the Lord. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. You see? And you have the 20 who left. They left mangy and they're still mangy. They left dirty and they're still dirty. They're submitting themselves to the wrong pastor. You see? Oh, we got a nice mega church. We don't lament and mourn here. We have joy and laughter here. Oh, look, it's better over here. It's better over here. But the mangy is still mangy. You see, the dirty is still dirty. I want to say something to every single listener, young and old and everybody in between. When a qualified pastor mourns, He mourns for you. God's house has very specific instructions. Very specific. We're not talking about, you know, mere items that can be taken out back and hosed down. No, that's not the process for cleaning. God's word goes forth. And there's qualified overseeing that occurs. Of course, occurs, but a pastor can never force anyone to humble themselves 
A qualified pastor can never force a person to be clean and pure. A person must choose for himself or herself. In the case of Corinth, 10,000 teachers. But look at the filthiness and the manginess of the saints. You see? But with one, purification happened. Not with the whole. Purification happened only with the remnant. You see? Let us not forget the beautiful ministry of Chloe. I'm so in love with Chloe. In the sight of the Lord, when we humble ourselves, it is Him who will lift us up. Not a pep rally. Not a carnal lifting up. Not the, the, the lifting up of stupid men. It is the Lord who lifts. It is the Lord who builds his beautiful, beautiful, gentle, and powerful hands restore. Everything else is the carnal pep rally that is unholy. Unholy. Oh, but it's church. Look, they got a, a big sign on the front. It says church. They got a big sign out front. It says Bible. They got a big sign out front. It says truth. That's nice. It's just a sign. But it's church. Look, we want to feel good about ourselves. We can do our sex. We can do our crack. We can do our whiskey. We can laugh. We can have joy. Look, you know, we're supposed to be joyous. We're joyful of joy because we're Christians. Remember, there is effectuation for joy. Effectuation for joy is not disobedience. Effectuation for joy is not mangy. Effectuation for biblical joy and the joy of the Lord. You see? It's obedience unto the Lord. It's purity unto the Lord. And that's why James is saying, Lament, mourn, weep, no laughter, mourn, no joy, gloom. Humble yourselves. The guy with the Lamborghini, humble yourself. The guy with the jalopy, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And it is the Lord who will do the lifting. It is him that will lift up. You see? Because... A pep rally can lift up. Absolutely can lift up. But for five minutes, it's carnal. For five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, it's a pep rally. You get the pep. But with the Lord, when he lifts up, it's not for 10 minutes. It's not for 20 minutes. It endures. And that's the joy of the Lord. It endures. A person can call it church all they want. You see, in, in that example of our home fellowship, you know, there's just five left. We started with 25, 20 left. And here we are five. 
No, there's only two old ladies who are, are not on their faces before the Lord. You got mighty warrior old lady who's sitting down listening to the words being read. You got the mighty old warrior lady and she's reading and it's so beautiful. And you, me and the kid, we're on our faces before the Lord because we're repenting. We're lamenting. We're mourning. We're weeping. We're in a state of gloom. Because we realize we've forgotten the Lord. James, although his words were sharp, he's right. He is right. And as he says, we're cleansing our hands. We're purifying our hearts. And here we are, humble before the Lord. This little tiny home fellowship, just five. And we're humble before the Lord. Do you know what kind of unspeakable joy will follow? Do you know what kind of unfathomable joy will follow? Because it's the joy of the Lord. Because he's the one who's doing the lifting. The other 20 left because they were mangy and they didn't like being called on it. They were dirty and they didn't like being called on it. They were apostate and they didn't like being called on it. We didn't like it either, but you know, James was right. You see? In the whole church... Um, you know, you and me in the example and the kid and the others that left. We were cut to the heart. We were cut to the heart by holy words. But what's the response? What is the response? And that's key. Because the mangy left, you and me, we were mangy. But mangy no more. You and me, we were dirty, but dirty more no more. You and me, we were the adulterer and the adulteress, if you're female. But we're the adulterer and adulteress no more. You and me, we were the apostate, but we're apostate no more. James, he got us cleaned up. Look at the vessels that the Lord used. James, you got the old lady who's reading. You got the old lady who's praying. Look at... You see these, you see how beautiful the fellowship is? James, old lady number one, old lady number two. And in this ministry, look at us, look at you, me, and the kid. We were on our faces before the Lord. We were in gloom. We were in mourning. We were weeping and lamenting. But now, do you know what kind of unspeakable? Unspeakable joy we will have and do have when the formula is right and the formula has been restored in you, in me. Put on your seatbelt. You know why? Because now we have the effectuation of more things. Gifts. You see? Now in this ministry, look what we see. We see Brother James. We see old lady number one, old lady number two. And we've got three left. And we have a plethora of gifts that the Lord, he sees. 
and every high priest both sacrifice and gifts. I wonder what kind of gifts we will receive. Remember, the greatest gift is love. But I wonder what kind of gifts. You say, oh, it's just an insignificant, tiny church. It's just a home fellowship, just five people. No, no. Do you know how powerful that church is? Do you know how powerful this little home fellowship is? You know how powerful it is? Oh, but there's this mega church over here. They got thousands upon thousands. They got thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And the 20 that were with us, now they're with these thousands upon thousands. Surely the Lord is there. You see? And they can call it church all they want. It's not holy. They can call it church. It's not ecclesia. They can call it church, but there's no love feast. They can call it church, but there's no power. They can call it church, but Jesus is on the outside like Laodicea. They can call it church, and it's the place where judgment comes first. You see? And Brother James is, he's saying the exact same thing that Brother Paul noticed. When Brother Paul says to Corinth, he says, your rejoicing isn't good. You see? Let your joy be gloom. Let your laughter be mourning. Oh, but we're Christians. We're supposed to be full of joy and laughter. No, there is effectuation of joy and laughter. But in the condition of the harlot, in the condition of the adulterer, in the condition of the adulteress, in the condition of harlotry? No. Joy and laughter? Not now. You see? For now, it's lamenting, mourning, and weeping. Sounds a whole lot like Jeremiah's day. Oh, Jeremiah, you're so stupid. Look, we're the elect. Oh, Jeremiah, where's your degree? Where's your master's degree? Where's your doctorate in theology, Jeremiah? You go over there. You go, you go be by yourself and you cry, Jeremiah. You go be by yourself. You know what? I'm with Jeremiah. You see? And Brother James, he sees this. Paul, he saw it. In Corinth. He saw it in Galatia. And James sees that. And there, Timothy, he saw it. Titus, he saw it. Chloe, beautiful Chloe. Before Paul wrote anything about it, Chloe knew. Because when Paul came to town and the birth of the church in Corinth, she clung to those words. She knew those words. She loved those words. Because she knew Paul, he's, he's not like the average bear. He's different. And so when things started to get crazy, she knew, I can't submit to this pastor anymore. She goes to the next church. She knows, I can't submit to this pastor either. Beautiful, beautiful Chloe. You see? 
And that's what Brother James is addressing here. Let your joy be gloom. Let your laughter be mourning. Weep, mourn, and lament. Why? Because there's sin in the camp. Sin in the camp, straight up. You see? And it's beautiful. Sharp words, very sharp words. And the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Very sharp words. But very appropriate. The majority, in the example we gave, they left. Oh, James is so mean. How dare he say this of us? You and me? James is right. And now we have the fullness of joy. Biblical joy. Not pep talk. Not pep rally joy. That's fake. That's like 10 minute joy. We have real joy. Biblical joy. Which is from the Lord. Restoration. In the Lord and of the Lord. By the Lord. And for the Lord. For His glory. And so we see here in verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He says, straight up, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Now, there's several things we have to keep in mind here. Because the mocker would say, oh, James is a hypocrite. James is a hypocrite. He says not to speak evil of one another, but look, he called us sinners. He says not to speak evil of one another, but look, he called us double-minded. He says we're spiritually bipolar. He says we're adulterers, the adulteresses. He says we're apostate. James is a hypocrite because he's speaking evil about us. Number one, this was written about 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. I mean, over the last 10 years alone, Look at how the snowflake mindset has expanded just in the last 10 years. Look at all the snowflakes among us today. Look at all the snowflakes in the church today. Oh, I don't want to get my little feelers hurt. I'm offended. I'm offended. What does Jesus say? He says, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. Jesus says, it's a sign of the last days. When many will be offended, it's a sign of the end. What do we see today? Many are offended. The rise of the snowflake generation. That's just the last 10 years. Now, amplify that over the span of time to the era of James while he occupied his earth suit. These are things that we have to account for and understand and acknowledge, but there's also something else. When James says not to speak evil of one another, the Greek word here is traducer. Be not a traducer. Now, a traducer is a person who makes false and malicious accusations with the intent to cause humiliation and or disgrace. And that's what Brother James is speaking. Don't be a traducer. Don't make the false accusations. Don't make the malicious accusations with the intent to humiliate and disgrace. Don't do that. James is addressing this. Remember, remember, remember the, the barrel of gasoline from last week? Keep it far, 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 far away from the fire. 
And James says here in verse 11, he says, he, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother, or krino in the Greek. Remember, there's, there's derivatives of krino. There's krino, anakrino, and diakrino. Those are the, those are the, the, the derivatives of krino is anakrino and diakrino. There, there's more. But the big ones are anakrino and diakrino. Krino is to condemn. We are not to do that. Christians are not to krino. Christians are not to condemn. Only Jesus can do that. That's condemnation to hell. But the derivatives of krino is where we get into the areas of judgment and determination and making estimations, you know, making these assessments. But Brother James says, don't speak evil of a brother. And, you know, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother or condemns his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. Now, don't forget, the law is still holy. The law is still in effect. A person abiding in Christ, to him or to her, that person is not subject to the law because of the covering found in Christ. But to step away from the covering, a person is under the law. Again, it's so simple, so simple, but very intricate. And Brother James says that he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. You see, that's the wrong place for anyone to be. Because there's only one who could do such a thing. It's Jesus. Brother James, in saying not to be a traducer, not to speak evil of another, not to make a false or malicious accusation with the intent to cause humiliation and disgrace. He says, that's what you're doing when you speak evil of a brother and make up these accusations. You see? You not only speak evil of the law, but you judge the law. And if you judge the law, that can't be done because there's only one lawgiver in verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another, he says. Again, this is krino, which is to condemn. Who are you to condemn another? Remember, there are derivatives of Krino that the Christian absolutely must do, but not condemn. And that's what the traducer does. The person who makes these false and malicious accusations with the intent to cause humiliation or disgrace. This also enters the realm of Hebrews 6 in some cases where it may become impossible to restore such a person. You see? Just like the example we gave in the little home fellowship where we started with 25 and now we're just five. But we know in that home fellowship, tiny church, that's a beautiful formula. Among the body, among the teacher, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful formula. Of course, we got, you know, we got the, the, the deadly old lady and we got baby Christians. You see? 
And babies are beautiful when they're babies. But babies that stay babies, not, not pretty. You see? And in this little tiny home fellowship of five, it's beautiful. Powerful. But the 20 that left, they were mangy in the home fellowship. And they left, and now they're in mega church. They're still mangy. They're still dirty. You think that pastor's going to tell them you're an adulterer? You're apostate? You think that pastor will tell that to them? Oh, pastor, why doesn't the Lord answer my prayers? Oh, he's teaching you patience. You're going to have to pray for 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. You're 80 years old. Okay, keep praying for 20 more years. You see? Because the pastor's so-called pastor is counting on that person to die. Oh, but keep tithing. You see? And those 20 who left, because the formula was right in our fellowship, the little tiny home fellowship, in the example we gave, you know, we get in our time machine, we go back in time, we got two old ladies who are powerful, powerful, and we got, you know, James, who's teacher. And reading the letter. And all of a sudden, you know, the, you know, there, you know, another brother comes in and in the course of time, he comes, becomes pastor. The little kid becomes elder. He grows up, you know, in the course of time. Now he's elder. We got beautiful overseers. You see all these pieces that are coming together. The Holy Spirit, you know, now you have the gift of prophecy. You see, now the little kid, he speaks in tongues. The old lady, the deadly old lady, not the one who was speaking, but the one who was sitting, the one who was praying, the prayer warrior. Now she has the gift of interpretation. And so perilous time comes and you have the gift of prophecy. And the Lord says, okay, you go over here now because it's it's dangerous over here. Some bad characters are coming. There's going to be a famine and there's bad characters coming. And so you, you guys leave. And then you say to the pastor, hey, pastor, you know, you know, I, I received the prophecy from the Lord. And Okay, let's pray. Okay, now we're going to announce this to the body. Now we're going to save the body. Hey, everybody, you know, the Lord is guiding. The Lord is directing. We're going to go over here. And so we leave. And all of a sudden, like, the harm comes to the land. But we're not there. Why? We were given real-time, like, minute instructions. You see, minute instructions. And it's, it's so beautiful. And so here it's like, wait a second. What about the 20? What about the 20 that left in the example we gave? Well, because in the fellowship, the formula was right. Now we get into the Hebrew 6 situation where it's entirely possible for a person where it is impossible for them to be restored. I mean, it's one thing if, if we were like an apostate church and we stayed apostate. Now the, the Hebrew 6 situation doesn't apply because the formula was wrong with us and it's like, okay. The, the, but when the formula is right, 
Now we have something else at play. It's not a person who was predestined to hell, as the Calvinists would say, as the Reformed would say. It's a person who, by their own doing, dives right in the fire by failing to humble themselves. You see? And so, in continuation here, Brother James, he says, in verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas in verse 14, he says, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Now, I presently teach from America, the United States. And in most regions this time of year in America, it's getting cold outside. And when it's cold outside, when you exhale, you can see your breath in a puff of vapor. It's just in a second or a fraction of a second, it's gone. And that's what Brother James is saying this life is. Your life, my life, the life of everyone that has breath, it's just a vapor. It's just a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. That's what Brother James is saying. But instead, he says in verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. Very interesting what we see here. Now, sometimes, you know, you have, you know, false teachers who will say, well, you know, they, they, they try, instead of saying that they're the bipolar, they start to say God is bipolar and saying, well, there's, there's God's perfect will and then there's God's permissible will. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. There's no imperfection with the Lord's will. God doesn't have multiple wills. There is God's will. But a lot of people place God's will in the column of the unknown. Oh, God is sovereign and we cannot fathom his ways. You see? It's true that his ways are not our ways. You see? Oh, his ways are not our ways. God is sovereign. We cannot fathom his ways. Let me tell you something. What happens through intimacy with him, his ways become understood and followed. Because it is also written, the sovereign, the sovereign does nothing without first revealing his secret to his servants. That's what the Bible says. That the sovereign does nothing without first revealing his secret to his servants. Now, if a pastor tells you, we cannot understand the sovereign nor his will. What the pastor is revealing is that the real sovereign God has withheld his secrets from that pastor. That's what's being revealed. Probably a pastor who will also tell you, you got to pray for 50 years. You got to pray for 80 years. Probably one and the same. Wrong formula. Why is it 
that God's secrets are not revealed. It's because they're only revealed to his servants. That's what the Bible says. So when someone tells you, oh, we cannot understand the sovereign, they're revealing something about themselves to you. They're not his servants. That's what they're revealing. You see? We look at the formula. We understand the formula. So when Hemenaeus and Alexander speak, ignore it. But when James and Paul speak, heed their words. Because they speak truth. They feed truth. Vessels and servants and shepherds and friends of Jesus want the flock of God to be clean and pure and holy. That's what they want. But the servants of Satan, they don't care if the mangy stay mangy. They don't care if the unclean stay unclean. In fact, they like it. You know why? Because they serve their father, the devil. There needn't be the level of ambiguity to God's will that we see in the church today. It shouldn't be that way. But at the same time, there are still ambiguities with regard to minute details of the future. I'll give you an example. I mean, if you and me say we're in Los Angeles, Los Angeles, California, Southern California, you and me, and we're going to go to Hong Kong. Now, understand there are generalities to our destination. I mean, Los Angeles to Hong Kong. I mean, we can look on a map and, you know, put our finger on Los Angeles and put our other finger on the Hong Kong and be like, okay, this is where we're going to cross the ocean and this is where we're going to go. We're in Los Angeles and we're going to be in Hong Kong. And there are generalities to the destination of LA to Hong Kong. But the minute details of instruction... That comes when we're actually in Hong Kong, nearing the actual final destination. Where, you know, in Los Angeles, we're not going to get the turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right. Because we're in Los Angeles. We still got to go to LAX and fly. But then when we're in Hong Kong, that's when the minute instruction will be not just appropriate, but necessary. Where, you know... Turn left at the bank, turn right at the, the, the eatery the, for dim sum. Turn right, turn left, turn right. When you see the McDonald's, turn left. In Los Angeles, we don't get that. But in Hong Kong, we do get that. Because there are minute details. But understand Jesus. In the same manner, Jesus He's in our future. Now, he's also in the present. He's in the present. But today, in the present, we can't physically embrace him today. We can't physically do that. In the future, yes, but not yet. And just like the example we gave with Los Angeles and Hong Kong. I mean, that's a long flight. If 
Right here, right now, our plane is leaving in five minutes. We're sitting on the plane, we're, we've boarded the plane, and we're waiting for takeoff. And there we are, buckled in, and Hong Kong is in our future. Hong Kong is in our future. It's like it's a long flight. It's in our future, but it's there. And in the same manner, Jesus is in our future. He's in our present, yes. But we cannot hug him right now. He's in our present by faith. But in the future, there's not going to be the need for faith. Because we can see him face to face. In the future, in our glorified bodies, we will, we will see him face to face. Where we can embrace him. Where today, we're not in paradise. But when that day comes, we will be in paradise. Just like, you know... You know, like we're in Los Angeles, we're going to Hong Kong. Hong Kong is in our future. You see, when we have paradise as our future destination, which is a beautiful thing, but understand there are general instructions and minute instructions, detailed instructions, just like the example we gave where, you know, in, the, in our tiny home fellowship, there are minute details to instruction in the gifting of the holy spirit where you know you have the gift of prophecy and you know the lord reveals to you that some bad actors are coming and we gotta leave and you you pray you discuss it with the pastor and you together with the pastor you pray and the pastor has a church announcement he says hey you know brother this person or you know brother you or sister you you know the lord says that this is going to happen through brother you or sister you and we know that, you know, you know, you're not apostate like you used to be. And so, you know, I'm not apostate like I used to be. And we've been cleaned up. We've heated Brother James. We're clean. We're pure. Which you see the effectuation of all these promises unto the Lord. And now you see in real time, minute instruction. In real time, you see the way of Philadelphia. In real time. There are general instructions. Yes, we're going to paradise. But then there are minute instructions, which is like, you know, hey, it's time to go. It's time to leave. It's time to flee. You see? Remember Agabus in the book of Acts? The gift of prophecy. And what does he say? He comes to church and prophesies. He doesn't prophesy and say, you know, thus saith the Lord, you know, uh, you have to give me a hundred. Every single one of you has to give me a hundred dollars. No, he says, thus saith the Lord, there's going to be a famine. See, the, the Lord knows. He knows that there's going to be a famine. The Lord is, at that time, in the future of those saints. And he knows, he knows the events. I mean, what is time to the Lord? When a day for him is like a thousand years and a thousand, him, a thousand years for the Lord is like a day. What is time to him? He knows the famine is coming. And he reveals to Agabus, who has the gift of prophecy. And Agabus goes to the church, goes to the saints, hey, there's going to be a famine. And so they prepare for the famine. When the famine comes, the famine hits and it hits hard. And a lot of people are hurt by the famine. But the church, 
there is light in Goshen. You see? Minute instruction. And minute instructions come with closeness to Jesus, both spiritually and physically. Spiritually, as you and me, as we mature in Christ and become deadly, the good deadly, like the old lady in the example we gave. But also as we near his physical return. Minute instructions in the last days where all the effectuation of those promises, including not just gifts, but including the angelic realm. I mean, here in the book of James, when people look at verse 13, they do so with the wrong eyes. I mean, verse 13, you know, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such cities, spend the year there, buy and sell and make a profit. And people, they look at verse 13 with the wrong eyes. They say, oh, look, you know, verse 13 says it's not good to buy and sell and make a profit. But that's not what the text says. That's not what the text says. As a little side note, I'm all for upward mobility when it comes to profit. But only, only when it's the Lord who is doing the lifting. You see, remember, in the, remember, we're in James 4. Brother James has covered a lot, including, you know, rich and poor. But in the church, we have both rich and poor, employer and employee. And there are instructions for the poor and instructions for the rich. And God is no respecter of persons. You see? Look at Barnabas. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Barnabas. You see, it's very true that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Bible says. But that does not mean the rich will burn in hell. But it does mean that the rich have a more difficult walk because of the added threats against them, the thicker opposition and the deeper seductions. But look at Barnabas. He passed with flying colors. You see? When we look at verses 13 through 15, I mean, look at verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. That's verse 13 and 15. And when we look at these verses, verse 13 through 15, we must look at the wills. We must look at the wills. Because verse 13, that's my will. Verse 15, that's God's will. You see? And the Lord, 
He desires intimacy with you. He desires intimacy with you. Understand, Jesus is in our future. He's presently with us, yes, but we can't embrace him yet, remember? We can't. We can't. We're trapped in these earth suits. We can't embrace him. Now, we embrace his word in spirit. But not just in spirit, period. Because those who worship God do so in spirit and in truth. You see, as our Lord says to the woman at the well, in spirit and in truth. And in truth, we understand that, yes, we cannot embrace him now in the physical sense. We can embrace him in the spiritual sense in embracing his word and applying his word and being obedient to his word, knowing that works and faith are a package deal. And Jesus wants us to have intimacy with him. He's not, he's not going to steer you wrong. I mean, we want to be in paradise. I mean, I want to be in paradise and I want you to be in paradise, but you have a choice to make. We want to be in paradise. But you know what? He wants that too. And not just that. Remember, he's preparing a place for you. And remember, he gave us specific instructions to that end for the effectuation of those very things. He's the one. He died for you to know this. Not just for you to know this, but for you to abide in him. He died, suffered shame. In obedience to the Father, yes. in fulfillment of the law. Look at what the Lord has done. We must also understand that there is a seduction of the world that ensnares a whole lot of people. A whole lot of people get trapped in this seduction of the world in which we presently live in these present earth suits of ours. Oh, look, people say. Oh, look, over here I can make a whole lot of money. And then it gets justified. Oh, look, I can feed my family and be a good caretaker. I can buy a brand new yacht because I gotta be like the Joneses. And in order to provide care for my family, proper care so that we can have a yacht and several houses... I think I'm going to do a little extortion here and a little extortion there, but let's not call it that. We'll call it wisdom. We'll call it logic, because after all, why would God want bad things for me? Why wouldn't God want this for me? Why wouldn't God want this for my family? You see? We try to justify carnality. We try to justify works of the flesh. We try to justify walking according to the flesh. We try to justify the carnal nature and we call it good. Let me tell you something. 
Whenever someone says, why wouldn't God want this for me? The formula in that person had better be right. Because if it's not, that question alone, why wouldn't God want this for me? That question alone opens the door to hell, straight up to hell. That door is open. I mean, when you take when you take the passions and desires of the flesh, which do come with their share of sensations, in a very basic sense, look at the look at the chocolate. Remember the chocolate bar we gave in the in, 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 the, the earlier example we gave with the chocolate bar. You know, look, you take those. You take chocolate. I mean, me personally, I like chocolate. I like the taste of chocolate. I like the smell of chocolate. I like chocolate when it's like melting in my mouth. I love it. Everything about it, I like it. It's delicious. But what if the chocolate is laced with arsenic? You see, it's going to taste good. I like chocolate. It's, it's going to taste good. But I'll be dead in five minutes because of the arsenic. And that's chocolate. When you consider the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, number one, that ain't chocolate. Number two, the door to hell can be open. And that's a door that must stay shut. You see? We must look at the wills. Again in verse 13. You look at verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Oh, look at me. I'm making money. You know what that is? My will. In verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. You know what that is? That is Lord. Thy will be done. And that's what Brother James is talking about. You see? He says, but now you boast in your arrogance. Have you ever heard the boasts of profiteers? Oh, look at me. I make $5 million. I make $1 million. I make six figures. Oh, look at me. Listen, for the millionaire, it's peanuts to the billionaire. And it's all nothing to the Most High. Nothing. Remember, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. You see? God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Remember earlier, humble yourselves in the sight of God. Humble yourselves in verse 10 in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. God gives grace to the humble. In the example we gave earlier, it was just three people, you, me, and the kid. We've humbled ourselves. James's words were painful, but we've humbled ourselves. We realize, you know, James' words, they were, they, they were true. And they were sharp. But he's right. You see? And now we've humbled ourselves, and now there's restoration. The 20 that left, they don't get that. The mangy stay mangy. They refuse to humble themselves. And what do we see? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, 
Balls in your court. We got to choose. You're free to choose. God doesn't make robots. You're free to choose. Remember Lazarus and the rich man? Let me ask you a question. What's the rich guy's name? You see? The rich guy's name isn't captured in scripture. You see? But back in the day, the rich guy, i he was on every magazine cover. He was on every newspaper cover. Fortune 500, the whole nine yards. But in the Bible, what's his name? Who knew Lazarus back in the day? Who knew Lazarus? Jesus knew him. His name we know. God's economy is not like the world. You see? The utmost beauty, in my experience, the most profound beauty is found among the poor. In my walk with the Lord, 25 years. I got to do my math. It's probably like 25, 26, somewhere around there. But the utmost beauty. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful saints. It's found among the poor. And when these saints pray, things happen. I mean, in Western churches, you hear the pastors, you know, they try to explain, well, you know, you have to wait for your prayers. You got to wait 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. You got to wait 80 years for the Lord to answer your prayers. But in, you know, poor churches, poor parts of the world, when, when they pray, Oh my goodness, put on your seatbelt because boom, answer, boom, response, boom, they receive. You see it left and right. It happens. But in the Western cultures, Americanized churches, the European churches, when the Western cultures, the pastors, oh, you know, you got to wait 20 years for the Lord to answer your prayers. God is, he's trying to teach you patience. Brother James says, no, the problem is not the Lord. Brother James says, the problem is you. You're apostate. He says, repent. Let's get you cleaned up. But there's a very specific formula for getting cleaned up and only the clean can clean. But among the poor, there is so much beauty. A beauty that cannot be seen with carnal eyes. You see? Remember, seed, holy seed, gets choked by the riches and pleasures. That's what happens. That's what the Bible says, Luke 8. It gets choked by riches and pleasures. And we must also look at the heart, which is like the thorns, as Luke 8 says. Or is it good ground? Is it good ground? You see? Oh, but once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. How did that go with Demas? Bright lights, big city. How did that go with him? The biblical formula is not once saved, always saved. The biblical formula is once saved, stay saved. You see? Let's continue in verse 16. But now you boast in your arrogance, Brother James says. He says, all such boasting is evil. Remember, this is a letter to the saints. Christians, 
who have their battles within. The war against the flesh and the carnal nature. And Brother James, he's a good teacher. He's training saints how to fight and how to fight the good fight. And remember, our study in Corinth, through the Corinthian letters, you know, the, the, the first three years of Corinth, where you have the birth of the church that from, you know, referencing the book of Acts and, you know, Paul comes to town, there's the birth of the church. And then, you know, you have three years later and Paul writes the first Corinthians. And there's that three year period where saints were not growing. And what happens? Paul finds out what's happening in the church from beautiful Chloe. And those in her household. And so Paul responds and writes a letter. He says, your rejoicing isn't good, but he says, for the saints, for the remnant to separate. Your rejoicing isn't good because of the leaven. And Paul says the remnant must separate from the leaven. And I hate to speak in the what ifs. I don't like speaking in what ifs. But what if James went to Corinth? What if James went to Corinth sometime in year one where, you know, three years pass and Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, but what if James, just allow me some grace. And me personally, I don't like speaking in the what ifs, but if James had went to Corinth sometime in year one, for example, there wouldn't be the letters to Corinth because James, who is qualified, would clean house. It's the Lord that cleans house, but he uses his vessels and leadership matters. What if these words that we see here in James 4 were told to the saints in Corinth? You see, Chloe would have loved it. Chloe would have loved it. She could finally have a shepherd to safely submit herself to. Not just Chloe, but those in Chloe's household. They would love it. And I'm very hesitant to use the what ifs, but there's a reason why Philippi and Corinth are different. Remember our study? If you've been walking with us for a while, you remember those distinctions that we made. But there's a reason why Corinth and Philippi are different. Formula. Formula of shepherd, formula of flock, formula of fellowship. Accounting for various levels of growth. But holiness unto the Lord. Or leaven. You see? And in this letter to the church, Brother James says, You boast in your arrogance. Such boasting is evil, he says. Your boasting is evil. In closing, in verse 17, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. This is a big deal. Verse 17 is a huge deal. Now remember, God doesn't make robots. He does not make robots. Every single person, you and me, every single person has a choice to make for themselves. It cannot be forced. It cannot be manipulated. It cannot be coerced. A person chooses for themselves. And so many times we think of sin in a manner of, you know, oh, the Bible says I can't do this, so I won't do this. And we call it that obedience and we leave it there. 
we cannot leave it there. Because the Bible does teach about things that we cannot do or partake in, yes. But the Bible also speaks on things that we are to do and are to partake in and in intimacy with the Lord. And the Lord also reveals His will to saints. And when that happens, understand there must be perfect alignment to the Word of God. When, you know, uh, you know, uh, accounting for that it is also written because don't forget satan presents himself as an angel of light too don't forget that satan presents himself as an angel of light how is it that we discern we must know the word of god we must be bereans because when we're bereans we'll know listen you know that's not the lord or we'll be able to know that is absolutely the lord You see? And that's what happens with intimacy. And the Lord, the Word of God, the Lord, the Word became flesh. Absolutely, there are things captured in Scripture where the Word of God says, don't do this, don't you dare do this. But there are other things that the Lord says, hey, do this. Do this. This is pleasing. Do this. Behave like this. That little fire in your mouth, that little rudder. Do this. That's what works are. Works unto the Lord. Living lives in obedience unto the Lord. Living lives desiring to be sweet aroma unto the Lord. Because when the saint knows what cannot be done, the saint has a choice to make. When the saint knows what should be done, the saint has a choice to make. And doing what cannot be done, it is sin. But not doing what should be done, it is also sin. You see? You and me together must learn to walk according to the Spirit. Because the saint, the saint doesn't walk by sight. That's what the dead do. That's what the dead do among the carcasses. The saint does not walk by sight. The saint walks by faith. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.